You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 393. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 27th of September, 2019. In today's episode, 150,000 travelers are stranded when Thomas Cook goes belly up. And why a Delta flight made an emergency 30,000-foot descent. More news, your feedback, and in today's plane tales, après moi les déluges. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 393 is ready for pushback. Hello and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast where we cover the latest in aviation news and answer your feedback. And by the way, thank you, Roger, Radio Roger Stern, for that great intro. He is an Emmy Award winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one news station in the New York City market, 1010 Wins. So we uh, always appreciate it when uh, you do that for us, Roger. And here to help me cover the news and answer your feedback are from her lakeside studio in South Carolina, a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. Sorry, I had to unmute myself there, but it is great to be back for another show. Sorry I missed you all last week, and I should probably take your advice about not drinking carbonated beverages right before you need to talk on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Lovely to see you all. Looking forward to a great show. It loves to effervesce through your yeah. gullet. Anyway, <laughs> we're, we're glad that you're back with us again, Steph, and also... Joining us from his studio in the English countryside, professional photographer, former RAF RAAF fighter pilot, former captain for an international airline based in London, and currently one huge pain in the neck for his amazing wife, Jilly Anderson. It's Captain Nick. Well, so long as it's just Steph's gullet and not the other end, we'll be uh, very (laughs) happy. Lovely to be on the show again. Thank you very much indeed. And my wife is so understanding, she's already gone to bed. Good for her. She knows what's best. Can you blame her? No. I, no, not at all. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and just start right away with the latest in aviation news. Stand by for news. We start off with very sad news. 
Uh, British tour operator Thomas Cook has ceased trading and all of its hundreds of thousands of bookings were canceled after the firm failed to secure rescue funding. The British Civil Aviation Authority, uh, the CAA, um, announced the firm's collapse early Monday. More than 600,000 vacationers had booked through the company. The CAA said the cancellations left about 150,000 British customers abroad and in need of repatriation or repatriation, and they will be brought home as close as possible to their booked return date. Rescue flights run by a number of other airlines and chartered by the CAA at British taxpayers' expense were to begin operating Monday to get Britons back home. The government's emergency operation, codenamed Operation Matterhorn, will aim to bring home Britons currently on holiday with a firm, according to BBC News, which said that the first wave of reparations would be we, I'm sorry, repatriations would be for about 16,000 people who were scheduled to fly with Thomas Cook back to the UK on Monday. Uh, just exiting from the uh, news article here um, from CBSNews.com, um, I would assume by now, you know, it's Friday we're recording this show, um, that uh, most everybody has made it back. Nick, uh, is that what the news is over there? Well, quite honestly, after the re- initial um breaking news we haven't heard a, a great deal more uh the occasional trickle um but uh yeah the the flights aren't progressing well uh, they've been uh, chartering aircraft from all sorts of uh, airlines um even uh a380s so, so yeah people will be getting home uh, even if they may be not exactly the airport of uh, their choice so some are being sent to airports uh, you know, say in Scotland when they would have come home back to England, um, but then they'll have to, uh, they may be bussed there or given train tickets or something to get to where they live, but or they may have to find their own way. But they're getting back to the UK. And it seems to be reasonably well organized. Initially, there were a lot of fears uh, that hotel operators were going to try and force the people to pay the outstanding amounts because. Of course, the hotel operators normally are paid several weeks in arrears, um, so they were out of po- pocket. And the only way they thought initially to get their money was to sort of hold some of the holiday makers almost to ransom. But um, the UK government, uh, the system we have that protects uh, against these companies going US uh, or going down, will uh, refund. Uh, the hotels, so they just need to uh, uh, make an application and it'll eventually be sorted. And the holiday makers should definitely not need to pay twice for their holiday. But that's the sort of thing that's been going on and been in the news. Uh, it'll take a few weeks before it's all complete. And I'm sure when it has all been done, we'll get a bit of a feedback from the CAA to see how it's uh, how it's progressed. But so far, it seems to be reasonably smooth. Had some great stories uh, from airlines uh, who are uh, bringing back some of the crews uh, on their normal flights. So uh, they are just finding room for them uh, in all sorts of places. Uh, I know that uh, we had a a Virgin Atlantic aircraft that had reasonably empty upper-class seats, and so they managed to get almost an entire uh, Thompson uh, crew on board and gave them all upper-class flight home, which I guess was a nice thing to do. Not only did they get home, but they had one last chance to uh, uh, relax and enjoy the flight before they uh, realized that, uh, you know, they were getting home and there was no job. Well, Captain Thomas Al- 
Cook, not Thompson, correct? Just double check. Yeah, Thomas Cook. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry, Thomas no, Cook. No, I'm just yeah. keeping you on that. Yeah, oh, that's news to Thompson. Yeah, uh, that's okay. <laughs> if anybody's Don't watching. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you mentioned the uh, the hotel uh, travelers uh, or potential problems with hotels. In this article, it says that several British vacationers told UK news outlets over the weekend that the La Orange Beach Resort, how did I do, Steph? Laurent, where, yeah, where are you? I it's, don't even know. Uh, it says travelers affected, so scroll down a little bit. Um, anyway, oh. a beach resort. Le I have no idea. Le yeah. A Le beach Orange. resort in the Tunisian town of Haman, Hamamet. Le I don't know. Okay. Uh, near Tunis, had demanded that guests uh, who were about to leave pay extra money for fear it wouldn't be paid what it was owed by Thomas Cook. Ouch. Um, and they said yeah. that. Uh, they uh, security guards came in and they shut the hotel's gates and were not allowing anyone to leave. It was like being held hostage, said one of the uh, travelers who was due to leave on Tuesday. He said he would also refuse to pay if the hotel asked him. Uh, but anyway, I think they got that all worked out. And uh, Captain Al in the chat room makes a great point that I guess if these travelers had just started their journeys, their holidays, that um, they continue to enjoy their holiday and uh, they don't have to come home right away. They can, uh, the, the transportation back home will be arranged so that they don't have to come back any earlier than what they had planned. So that's yes. Good. The CAA are trying to organize their return flights to match their original flights. So hopefully they will still be able to enjoy their holidays and then come home. Apparently um, the company was seeking 200 million pounds uh, which is 250 million or so, uh, to avoid going bust, and was in talks with shareholders and creditors to stave off the failure. By Monday morning, those efforts had failed, and the firm was going into forced liquidation. Really sad. This company has been around since 1841. It's the world's oldest travel company, and uh, it is no more. Very, very mm -hmm. sad. And you also uh, mentioned, uh, Nick, that uh, many of the air crews were affected by this, obviously. And uh, Captain Al sent us uh, some communication from one of these. First of all, let's uh, give a big shout out to uh, an APG community member, listener Gaz, who has previously uh, sent us in feedback on the show. And uh, we are, our thoughts and prayers are for you that you quickly get back on your feet and find employment as soon as possible. So just wanted mm -hmm. to let him know that we are thinking about him. And um, the, this um, was from a crew member that was out on a trip when the shutdown occurred. And his name is David Dusodil or Dusodil, uh, D-O-S-O-U-D-I-L. And um, was on a, uh, his Facebook page or a Facebook page. And uh, I'm sure he won't mind if we read his account of uh, what happened while he was on this trip and this uh, wonderful company went under. And I think, Nick, you would be the best to read this, if you don't mind. By all means, Jeff. The saying goes that a burden shared is a burden halved. I think there's a great truth in that. So here is my story of the last day of Thomas Cook, the 23rd of September, 2019, in command of one of the last three airborne flights into the United Kingdom. The best company I've ever known, and quite possibly ever had a pleasure to be part of. It was an unusually quiet layover in Orlando, our beloved Florida hotel. 
the usual warm cookies on arrival, everything ready for us, warm welcome from the ever-so-friendly staff. Most of us did a bit of shopping and then met for dinner in crickets, laughed and moaned and worried together as we always do and then went to bed. It wasn't the best sleep of my life. How will I look after the crew and passengers tomorrow with zero information and support from the company? What would everyone think? How will they sleep? How will they feel tomorrow? Will everything be normal? Will we even be allowed to leave? And how do I keep it below 20 without that bloody noisy aircon? We uh, have met downstairs at 14.30 local, five hours behind UK time. The inbound flight is early. There are no plan delays. Flight plan is in the system. No tech issues or wiring no terms. Even the weather is good. Eight hours flight time, disappointing, and a little bit of turbulence around Newfoundland. So I promise we'll deliver 7.59, and it's going to be mostly smooth. We're supposed to leave two hours later, and that was a strangely reassuring thought. It's Sunday. By midnight UK time, we should be far away above the United States eastern seaboard. Nothing ever happens before midnight, surely. When we got through the airport to our airplane, all the cleaning was done and most of the fuel was already on. Passengers ready, with still more than an hour to depart. I mean, are we really in Orlando? Both Sean and Dean, our great engineers, were there. Perhaps a bit unusual, but in retrospect, I'm glad they were. We've done everything as usual and been ready well ahead of time. Early MCO departure? Surely not. That would be a historic first. Everything was so painfully normal and ordinary. So we shook hands with the handling agents and engineers and parted ways with words of positive encouragement and the usual, see you in a few weeks. But you kind of know and see it on people's faces. The uncertainty and worries checking their phones and looking for news. So many questions and no answers. Captains, they surely have answers for everything. And I thought, if ever there's there's a moment to stand up in front of everybody and reassure in person, this is probably it. So I stood there in front of 304 people and 10 of my crew, struggling with the intercom headset, and trying to put into words what was on my mind. I tried to smile and joke and reassure everyone, we're still a company, we love our job, and above all, we're professionals to a core. And for us all, it's just another day in the office and business as usual. I knew they're a great team, even though I met most of them for the first time in my life. They're Thomas Cook crew, after all. I don't really remember what I said in my Eastern European accent and if it made any sense to a mostly Scottish audience. I was emotional and I was probably crap at hiding it. All I remember were the people's faces, mixtures of smiles and sadness and misty eyes all around, nodding heads and the clapping at the end of it. So maybe, just maybe, it made something better. 
We got our clearance, pushed early, waved and thumbed up our goodbyes. Bloody hell, why is everything so normal and smooth? Why are there no feds trying to stop us? Are we really going to get through this? I don't know why, but I have this gut feeling. I want to film everything. What if this is the last time? Our flight was as normal as it can be. No weather over Florida. No reroutes. The ATC called us more Kestrel than Thomas Cook. Further west inland our route was. Even We've even been labelled as Air Transat once. The usual American carelessness. Wink. When the controller apologised and asked which one is the current one, I just said, it probably doesn't matter anymore, but we're Thomas Cook. Cynical me. Transatlantic clearance was as requested. Track Romeo, flight level 380, Mac decimal 8. Time for dinner. The clock went past midnight UK, then midnight Zulu. No messages from ACARS, no weird radio calls on 12345, just the usual night yapping about turbulence. But the uncertainty was unbearable, and people wanted to know what's going on, me included. It's a strange bubble up there. No phone, no internet, quiet pitch black night. Just the engines whine and the aerodynamic noise. It has a calming, relaxing effect. Our office, detached from the real world, but now, always, makes the mind wander. Crew visiting and checking up on us, stopping for a chat. I somehow reassure myself I'm ready for the bad news, and able to perform well and safe, knowing the worst. I did try the SATCOM call to ops and crewing, Few ACARS messages, but got no definitive answer. So that's what I passed on. It's all good, guys. We're going to be all right. I'm not certain I really did think so. You know the signs when something's not normal. Everything seems normal. Someone asked on the chit-chat frequency if there was any news about Thomas Cook. Nothing came out, someone said, but doesn't look good. Easy, guys. There are still some of us flying around here. Maybe I even said it out loud on the frequency. Who knows? That press the transmit button so sensitive. But I told my mind to wander no more, and we started concentrating on the arrival and briefings. Weather was a bit murky in Glasgow, with tailwind on the approach, and this is a 3.30 after all. Night time, just before sunrise, normal day at work, business as usual. Shoulder straps on, approach controller wished us good luck, so maybe not quite as normal. My colleague flew a great constant descent angle approach and anticipated all the usual pitfalls. We saw the approach lights just above minima, and then he executed a perfect landing on runway 05, and we vacated via Bravo. Great flight. Nicely done, Robin. Stand 3-9. You kind of start realising when you're sent to a remote stand. 
It was only when we taxied past our three A321s parked underneath the tower, strangely stacked, blocking each other. What pillock parks like that, with a yellow snowplough behind them? Is it winter already? Maybe it's just some aeroplanes. We're still taxiing after all. Mind is playing the strangest reasoning tricks when options run out. And then I saw another plough parked just to beam our parking position, patiently waiting for us to chock in. There was no driver inside, but I knew why he's not there. We shut down, completed checklists, and I've done my last welcome home PA. Steps attached, doors open, and passengers disembarked. Only then I stood up, opened the flight deck door, and saw the crying crew with phones in their hands in the galley. Nathan, our engineer, walked in. It's over, mate. I can wax lyrical about the rest of my day, doing all that I can to delay leaving that aeroplane behind, touching the wheels, the fuselage, and all the stupid, meaningless, superstitious things we pilots do. Taking pictures. Those engine pictures some of us didn't have, we suddenly had to take. It's been amazing, with all the support from our passengers, airport staff, and just about everyone we've met. I wore my uniform proud, even though everyone felt sorry for us. It's been heartbreaking and sad walking into the crew room, with our equipment blocked by the liquidator's security staff. Seeing our impounded airplanes on the tarmac, our GTCXC A330-200, parked almost exactly in the same spot as I parked the Boeing 757 just over 11 years ago after my first ever flight in one. I felt sick reading emails and news stories, but we supported each other, even laughed and talked and talked, met all others we could, and then parted ways. We all have normal lives to live and matters to urgently attend to. It was only when I got to my hotel room, strangely still booked and paid for, it dawned on me. The absolute best company in travel is no more. It's when you realise that it's not a job you lose, it's the hobby, career, fun, laughter, friends and part of your family you lose with it. It was then, locked in my room, with all the responsibility lifted off my shoulders, I started crying like a baby. I'm no captain anymore. The wings and stripes have no meaning. For the first time in my life, 42 years old, I'm officially unemployed. Wow. Very, very, uh, I don't know how you read it without breaking up. <laughs> yeah. A beautifully written piece. Uh, well done, sir. Yeah. yeah. And thanks, Al, for setting it that way. And, of course, to David, who wrote this, and all the staff and all those affected by this uh, this company going down, uh, we obviously wish you well. 
I know there have been lots of offers of support and companies are really trying hard to make sure people can continue in the industry, but it's going to be a dreadful time for many. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Captain Al, you know, your pal, our pal, Captain Al, a big part of our APG community um, has gone through this and it must be must have been very difficult for him to read this on Facebook. And I'm sure that brought back all those feelings that he had when Monarch went went down. Oh, absolutely. And of course, very sadly, uh, there have been quite a number of Monarch uh, crews that uh, went to uh, Thomas Cook and took a job with them. So now, oh, in a very short period, they've been through this twice. Yeah. Can you mm. imagine? No. That's mm. just, that's terrible. Mm. All right. Well, so, yeah, go ahead, Steph. As I, you know, as we said, um, our thoughts, our prayers, hopefully everyone finds a uh, new employment quickly and swiftly, and it's something that they are happy to do, and um, you know, gets them back to where they were before. Yeah, I'm sure that also all of them will land on their feet eventually, and yeah. uh, the sooner the better. And uh, exactly, you know, you're we're all of us here are behind all of you, and anything we can do to help, just let us know. Absolutely. Okay. Um, hmm. Second item in our news folder is an update. Uh, we talked about this on an earlier show. There was a um, uh, a notice regarding uh, the closure of the Gibraltar airport, and we weren't, you know, we were kind of speculating, you know, how this could happen, and we had some other speculations as well. And Captain Al, again, yeah, he's this is going to be the Captain Al show, I think, um, was um, or sent us some uh, feedback regarding. Uh, his take on what happened there and uh, what kind of led up to this situation. And he uh, writes uh, regarding um, Gibraltar, the airport is a Royal Air Force base and the contract to provide air traffic control cover was awarded to Nats a few years ago. It is not the easiest way to recruit for and historically before Nats, controller shortages occurred from time to time. As Adam will confirm, controllers are validated for a particular unit or airport. So if staffing levels are tight, then these closures will occur. Furthermore to this is the unique setup at Gibraltar. How many other international airports also have a highway crossing the runway? There are no instrument approaches other than radar to visual. So at the very least, there must be at least two controllers on duty. One in the uh, VCR, which is visual control something. I'm not Visual sure. control room. Room, okay. And one in the radar room. I think the reason it's difficult to recruit for um, Gibraltar is that unless you already live there, quite a few controllers do, it's very expensive to live there. It's cheaper in Spain, but of course you'd have to cross the frontier twice a day just to go to and from work. Depending on the current political status with Spain, that could take two hours each way. The bigger Thanks. picture, yeah, <laughs> Steph, you thought you had a bad commute. Yeah. Uh, the bigger picture is the global controller shortage. I have two controller friends who have left the UK to go to Qatar this month, or Qatar, if you prefer. So, um, yeah, thanks, uh, Al, for sending us an update on some of those questions that we had that you know we didn't know the answers to. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it sounds like you know, like a lot of these uh, airports, they you know cut money. They don't want extra controllers hanging around. 
um, and they, you know, keep, keep things cut to the bone. So when you get a bit of sickness and there are a few people on holiday, you just run out of controllers. But of course, uh, it's I think it's bad economics because if your airport's going to close as a result, you're going to lose a lot more money than uh, the pay of a, an extra controller. So there you go. Mm-hmm. I guess it's just one of those combination of a uh, bunch of factors that create a uh, less than ideal situation, huh? Like we mentioned, with trying to recruit folks there and getting folks to live there who aren't already from the area. So that's probably a big yeah. part of the challenges. Anyway. Yeah. So hopefully we haven't heard anything since that that incident of lack of controllers and shutting down the airport. So hopefully they, they've taken some measures, um, even if it's temporary, to uh, get everything running smoothly again. Um, item C, in Melbourne, Australia, uh, Vietnam Air Boeing 787-900 was coming in for landing on runway 34 when the tower, great air traffic controllers out there saving the day, observed the landing gear on the flight was not extended. The crew initiated a go-around from about 500 feet above ground level, positioned for another approach, and landed safely on runway 34 about 17 minutes later. The Australian Transportation Safety Board reported During approach to land, Melbourne Air Traffic Control advised the crew that the aircraft's landing gear was observed not to be extended. The crew initiated a missed approach. The occurrence was rated an incident, and a short investigation was opened. Oh, good thing it's a short one. Um, Yeah, we don't need a lengthy one. No. You know. No, no. I forgot. (laughs) That's the... We... Our investigation revealed that they just forgot to put the gear down. Yeah. Actually, the one thing, the one saving grace for me on this incident was that they did a go around and didn't just put the gear down yeah. because there yes. would be a great uh, temptation to go, oh, I forgot the gear. Let's put the gear. Yeah. yeah but if you have, if you've forgotten that, what else have you forgotten That's or what exactly else are you not right set up there. for? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you haven't also, done your check- <laughs> yeah, yeah. You missed that on the checklist. What else did you miss on yeah. the checklist? That's a, that's a big one. Um, but I'm just curious, in a you know modern airliner like a Dreamliner, do you not get all kinds of bells and whistles if you're otherwise basically configured for, uh, I, you know, I, you're at such an altitude yes. and a speed that the Absolutely. aircraft thinks that you're going to be landing, would it not warn you somehow? I mean, that happens in small general aviation aircraft that I've flown that are retractable gear. And even in the airplane that I fly, we have warning systems so, that would the, uh, kind of alert us that yeah. you know something was not right. Like, hey, oh, I, I, just I, yeah, I've, I'm absolutely to... certain the air traffickers' warning would have been almost drowned out by all the other the, <laughs> bells and whistles. Uh, okay. Yeah, the EGPWS, the only mm. aircraft's own mm. uh, warning system going off. Uh, there'd be multiple warnings going. You've forgotten your damn gear, dummy. Uh, it uh, says that exactly. But it, it should. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it should make you feel bad if you've forgotten the gear. Just yeah. hey, <laughs> moron. You should, yeah, you don't you deserve even, to have you those even call wings. Yourself a pilot. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it gets really, really rude. Oh. Yeah, really sulky. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, so they did the right thing. You're, you make a very good point. It's very tempting in that situation just to go, okay, oh, throw the gear down, and then hope that. The whole thing is no one noticed. Down and walking, yeah. <laughs> well, not, but assume they did everything else correctly, and that was the only thing that was missing. For some reason, they didn't get a. You know, I, I think you just throw it, it. Could just throw you off at that point too. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh, like I was that close, and I did. I think it's just best to go back and 
And I would imagine that it's a long flight from Ho Chi Minh City to um, Melbourne, Australia. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that, you know, there was a a matter of fatigue involved in that and, uh, you know, flying all night long. And I think I didn't look at the actual times here, but uh, uh, it was probably one of those overnight flights. Like a red eye. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, happy ending, except Mm -hmm. for the... The crew the involved. Short in, well, the short <laughs> yeah. investigation. Yeah. And the uh, and the short interview with the chief pilot. Yeah. No tea Paper and no biscuits. To, to fill out, I suppose. <laughs> He's thinking, yep. good thing there's a, a pilot shortage. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. You see, in the old days, you used to be able to take a telephone book and slip it down your trousers for your spanking. But you try and get hold of a telephone book nowadays. <laughs> What's that? I had one delivered to my house like last what? week. You did? They still have Why, telephone you, books? You anticipating a spanking? <laughs> Maybe. I probably put it in the recycle bin because who needs that? But anyway, that's amazing. I, I bet the uh, the young people listening to the show are going, "What is a telephone book? What are they talking about?" Telephone yeah, book, sure. I know. the white pages or yellow, yellow pages. pages, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Or sometimes together, sometimes separate. Yes, combo of white pages, yellow pages. Yeah, depending on where you're living. And when you had to find when you want pizza or something, you had to find the right uh, closest. Uh, Pizza location, you're just flipping through all the pages, like pizza, yep. pizza, pizza, pizza. And it's so much like easier now, isn't there? Isn't it? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. The app just tells me which one is the closest. Like, right. just order here. The app knows where you are. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I don't know how, yeah, maybe that's not better. I don't know. Well, anyway. yeah, I mean, uh, in a way it's com- more convenient, but maybe not better. Mm-hmm. I agree. Anyway, uh, I we're, let's jump over to the uh, item F. Because, you know, we talked about this, um, the Vietnam air uh, and the air traffic controllers, you know, being very um, uh, vigilant on game. and yeah. on the game and, um, and kind of helping to save this airplane from landing without gear. Um, another incident occurred not long ago, this one in Amsterdam and the, the uh, great aviation uh, YouTube channel, Real ATC. Uh, YouTube channel called uh, Vass Aviation, as best we can determine, um, has a, a a nice video on this, and I do recommend that you actually you know use the link in the in the show notes to look at the video. I've I took some of the audio from this and shortened it, you know, in the the gaps and that kind of thing. But it has a nice visual presentation of the airport diagram. It looks like actually a Google satellite uh, view of the layout and it kind of superimposes a, an airplane on it. And so you can see exactly what's happening here. Uh, an earlier morning flight, Transavia uh, 737-8K2, whatever that is, uh, the uh, uh, tail number Papa Hotel, Hotel Sierra Juliet, performing flight 1041 from Amsterdam to Chania or Chania? How do you pronounce that? LGSA airport had been cleared for takeoff on runway 18 center when the aircraft lined up for taxiway Delta and started to roll for takeoff. Uh, Air traffic control noticed the pilot's mistake and instructed them to immediately stop. And let's hear a little bit of that audio. The next exchange from the controller is in Dutch, so I'm not sure exactly what he's saying. But basically what's happening here, the uh, pilots think that they're on uh, taxiway Delta and they're thinking, we don't, well, let's don't have to, I hope we don't have to go all the way to the end. We can take whiskey too, which is a, a little bit, um, 
shorter uh, takeoff distance, but apparently they have the performance for it. So they're they're disoriented. They don't have good situational awareness where they actually are. Not the best audio, sorry. Ask him if he needs to get the brakes cool. Are you uh, in a position to uh, be uh, able to move? Okay, where do you want to go to? To the departure runway again? Yeah, departure runway again. Okay, so uh, first possible left and 52 uh, whiskey one. Left then whiskey one, that one here for one. Sorry, everyone, one zero for one, and we will be ready to fly. One zero for one, line up and we're on the uh, center. Line up one, sorry, one zero for one. Sorry, one zero for one, one eight center, clear to take off, two one zero as well. Okay, again, we apologize for the uh, bad audio. By the way, the, our audio in our airplanes is much, much clearer than this. Uh, these are people that are volunteering to record these conversations with uh, scanners, and sometimes the signal quality is not very good. But uh, just in case you were wondering, uh, our, our communications in our airplanes are pretty clear. We can hear everything. Anyway, so again, it looks like he thought he was on the taxiway to his left and then when given clearance to line up and take off he, he just kind of did a big u-turn and didn't notice that he wasn't on the runway 18 center uh, there there are several things that we usually look for um, we the lighting is a little bit different on a taxiway than the edge lighting on a runway uh, the runway uh, has painted on it very large numbers and letters like 18c uh, and that's another thing that we check to make sure that we are indeed on a runway before we initiate a takeoff roll. But uh, for some reason, uh, because of his uh, lack of situational awareness, the pilot, um, both pilots apparently didn't notice that they were on a taxiway rolling for takeoff. And uh, again, a very alert air traffic controller uh, saved a, a potentially tragic situation there. Did we find out if there were any aircraft further down on Delta that obstructed that taxiway? Had they continued? That is what I was thinking about the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I don't. It didn't say in this video, and it and the depiction uh, that they have on the video doesn't depict any other airplanes. But I don't know. I mean, that would be my fear that they be you know careening into a bunch of airplanes coming the opposite direction. Yeah. I mean, it, it should be obvious uh, when you line up a taxiway because the lighting is very different and mm -hmm. the markings are very different. Mm -hmm. But uh, if they thought they were lining up on Wix Whiskey 2, they wouldn't necessarily expect to see threshold markings. They'd be just looking for centerline markings. And uh, I think this is a case of making uh, the world they're seeing fitting the world they expect to see. Yes. So um, Expectation Yes, that's it. Yeah, expectation bias. Thank you. Uh, and uh, they fell into uh, what is a dreadful trap because there are checks you should be making when you do this to confirm that you've uh, done it correctly. But I think you're right, Jeff. They they lost situational awareness when they were on taxiway Charlie, 
and thought they were on Delta. So they assumed that the piece of concrete to the left of them was the runway, but in fact they had to cross another taxiway before they got to the runway. Um, so, you know, that's that's obviously where their situation awareness fell down. But there are several things you can do. And I regularly, in fact, on the Airbus automatically, usually the departure runway ILS is automatically tuned for you. And uh, I used to make it a habit of, generally speaking, uh, taking a look at that as I taxed it on just to confirm that the localizer beam was in the middle as I set off down the runway, because otherwise, uh, you know, it's pretty obvious that you're not on the right runway. Now, there are several, like, for instance, Atlanta, um, they will not normally have the localizer beam on for the runways they're using for takeoff, only the ones they're using for landing. But the reason why I know that is because I guess the 737 at our company uh, has a HUD and for training purposes or for um, currency, I guess, they have to occasionally make a simulated takeoff in low visibility uh, situations. And so when you hear one of the flights asking the tower uh, if the localizer is on for the departure runway, and if not, could they turn it on for them? That's the reason for it. Um, and it makes sense if you're flying to a place that is using a runway that's um, used for both takeoffs and landings. I'm not sure the situation at uh, Amsterdam 18 Center. I've never flown into Amsterdam, so I have no idea. Just no, I haven't either. I'm not familiar with Amsterdam. Yeah. But uh, but uh, good job the controllers picked him up. And uh, so, you know, ticking the box for him. Well done, mate. Yes. Very well done. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. And another. Uh, sorry, I was just looking at Amsterdam. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Amsterdam's a uh, taxiway diagram there. Uh-huh. Trying to figure it out, but I've missed. I couldn't remember which uh, taxiway they were. Anyway, oh, they were on. Uh, they thought they were on Delta, and uh, they were actually on Charlie, and they were taxing toward One Eight Center. Okay. Towards. Ah, okay, I got it. Makes yeah. sense now. Sorry. No, no problem. Okay, and uh, speaking of uh, another well done situation, here's one. Uh, although, if you were um, here in the U.S. and listening to the both local and national news, you would think that there was just a a huge terrorizing, um, tragic uh, incident unfolding, and somehow they, the airplane didn't crash. In fact, the headline from uh, this article, I'm trying to recall exactly where this is from. Um, I think it's from uh, the local, one of the local Atlanta. Channel 2 Action News. Channel 2 Action News. Is that your- Panic in the sky. Delta flight from Atlanta. Plunges nearly 30,000 feet. <gasps> I have a little uh, model here. We can see okay, would that. you show us what that... Um, ah, panic! <laughs> I mean, this is, a, this is a 767, right? Well, who cares? No, that's an L-1011. I mean, yeah, I know. Oh, okay, I see. Uh, you got it's me. It's a jumbo jet, isn't it? This is jumbo. Yeah. <laughs> so um, and there's a picture here in the uh, article showing the uh, the jungle, uh, the rubber jungle, the uh, all the a- oxygen masks uh, on their clear tubes, uh, tubing uh, hanging from the ceiling. Um, a Delta Airlines pilot had to make a rapid control descent of nearly 30,000 feet after getting an alarm on, a, on an Atlanta flight. Turns out it was I just his... Uh, they put... Sorry, Jeff, I yeah. like the way they put control descent in in quotes as yeah. if it's a control descent, but we don't believe it. Right. Well, that kind of throws off the whole terrorizing um, headline, doesn't it? 
Yeah, so that's why they put it in quotes. Like yeah. It's a controlled descent. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Delta told Channel 2 to Action News that while flying to Fort Lauderdale Wednesday night from Atlanta, pilots learned pilots learned of a depressurization issue. <laughs> yeah. News to us. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, the pilots deployed oxygen masks for the passengers and made the, quote, controlled descent. Flight uh, 2353 diverted to Tampa, where it landed safely. Passengers described panic as they grabbed for the oxygen masks. Air masks. The oxygen mask dropped from the top of the plane. Chaos sort of ensued, sort of ensued amongst the passengers, according to passenger Harris DeWaskin. One of the flight attendants, I believe, grabbed the intercom and was just repeatedly over the intercom stating, do not panic, do not panic. (laughs) <laughs> but obviously, it's a hectic moment. So the passengers around me, uh, a lot have, of people. Have they been uh, in listening to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with Don't the panic. Zephyr <laughs> Beal Roxas glasses <laughs> that turn black and just say, Don't panic? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Um, anyway, oh, another passenger said he was so scared by what was happening. He told his family he loved them and hugged his son. Life is fragile. Like there was a. <laughs> Wait a minute. Am I reading that correctly? Life is fragile. Like there was a, a, must have been, must be a young person. There was a scary 60 to 90 seconds where we really didn't know what was going on at 15,000 feet in the air. It's a scary moment for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, Delta said the aircraft's being evaluated by maintenance technicians. Buses were used to take customers to Fort Lauderdale from Tampa that night. Uh, Delta Airlines said it apologized to everyone on the plane and said the plane diverted to Tampa out of an abundance of caution. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't continue to fly around without pressurization, especially after. A, yeah, um, I wouldn't call it an abundance of caution. Yeah, I would just say it just diverted to Tampa following the regulations. <laughs> <laughs> um, turns out. Okay, so how long did it take to come down this? Okay, let's do some uh, mathematics. Yeah, I I'm, I'm, can't wait for this bit. Okay, uh, it's about, it, it said, uh, at first, some of the articles were saying in under seven minutes, but then they kind of changed it to about eight minutes. So 29,000 feet in eight minutes. Let's do the math. Well, it's only going to get to 10,000 feet. Right. Really, to be safe. So it's actually no, no, it was that was it was at 39,000 feet and went to 10. So it was oh, okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. 30,000 yeah. feet in yeah. eight minutes. Steph? Oh, she's run oh, away. <laughs> she she was so terrified and panicked <laughs> by this whole thing that she had to run away from her desk, her her recording studio. Oh, Absolutely. darn. Uh, I, I've done the math. It's about 3,650 feet per uh, minute or so, 3,700 feet per minute. All right. Uh, okay. On average for the entire drop. Um, interestingly, uh, this this happened right before my last trip, and my first officer and I were talking about this, and he said that he went into our manuals to see what a typical rate of descent would be, and he said on our airplane, only 280 knots in the descent with the speed brakes uh, extended, uh, it works out to be about 3,800 feet per minute, something like that. Uh, on our trip and just flying normal flights, no rapid depressurization events. Um, there were times when I looked down at the, the, uh, the vertical velocity indicator and we were showing descent rates, uh, approaching 4,000 feet per minute. Again, we were not in a depressurization situation. Now, if you look at the graph, the printout from the, uh, flight aware website, um, and I put a little, uh, excerpt of that in the, uh, or a, a screenshot of that in the show notes, um, 
initially it started by coming down a little bit like 88 feet per minute and then 1338 feet per minute then about 3700 then 6600 then 7800 that was the peak descent rate at that point but there's a lot going on you're trying to get the noise the nose pointed down uh, you're building up airspeed and there's going to be a, a short period of time in that transition to the stabilized the rest of the descent where you may get uh, a peak vertical descent rate of around 7,000 to 8,000 feet per minute, but you cannot sustain that because then, the, you know, you're going to exceed the airspeed and the wings are going to rip off. So uh, you don't want that to happen. <laughs> oh, wait, no, that can't happen. What am I talking about? I'm just joking. Um, but uh, so, you know, some people would point to, well, look, that's a, you know, that, that's a terrifying rate of descent. Well, it might not feel normal, especially when you throw in the uh, the oxygen masks deployed from the um, ceiling and the flight attendant saying, don't panic, don't panic. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, but again, on average, it, it's, it wasn't much more of a normal, uh, much more of a descent rate than what we normally do when we're flying these normal RNAV uh, arrival procedures. So, um, yeah, the, uh, the saying, please do not panic does not really help the situation. Uh, Gail says, <laughs> yeah, I know. But apparently people, some people were hyper, hyperventilating and the uh, flight attendant with the uh, PA uh, decided that maybe that would help. I don't know. So there you go. Uh, oh, and on another um, site that I was looking at, this, by the way, uh, Blancolirio, I mentioned his YouTube channel. Another, I mean, I, I can't recommend enough that you um, that you subscribe to his YouTube channel because he talks about, we're going to uh, use some of the information from his YouTube channel in a later um feedback. Uh, but um, the YouTube link that I have linked you to in the show notes, emergency descent, Delta 2353 on the 18th of September. And it turns out one of the people in the in the comments uh, said that this was a leak with the air connector duct and a flow control valve duct seal issue. And the masks were manually deployed. So something kind of came apart back there in the air conditioning system and resulted in the pressurization not working as it should and the cabin altitude increasing. And then there's, you know, you have to get the airplane down. Now, the reason why you might not hear a PA right away from us in the cockpit is that, right, Nick, things get kind of busy up front when all of a sudden you are in a situation where you have to initiate an emergency descent. Well, absolutely. There's a, there's, one guy uh, flying the aircraft and trying to make sure you make this a safe uh, and controlled uh, maneuver, but get it down promptly. The other guy, of course, is liaising with air traffic to clear the path beneath you because if you're making an unexpected uh, descent through a, a big piece of sky, there are probably a lot of aircraft that air traffic going to have to coordinate with to get them out of your way. So uh, you're both very busy. And what's more, you've got your oxygen masks on and communication is not easy. And if you try to make a PA, there's not a lot of chance that the passengers <laughs> will really understand it. Once you've got everything sorted out and level off and you, you know you're safe, then you come on and calm everybody down. Right. But, uh, initially, not you rely on the cabin crew to uh, make those initial PAs. Yes. They, they, like the passengers, are going to be needing to put on oxygen masks so they don't succumb themselves. So uh, it's not even easy for them. I know some aircraft that have an automated... Um, tape that plays if, in the event of a depressurization oh. so that, uh, you know, some instructions come over the intercom and I think that's not a bad idea at all. Some calming instruction, like maybe some uh, Tibetan monk um, chanting. I think it's um, 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 
Yeah, yeah, exactly lads. right. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Oh, they play some nice classical music. <laughs> yeah. No. Anyway, uh, Blanco Lirio uh, YouTube channel. Um, I have a link to his YouTube um, video covering this, and he does a, a really, really good job. Takes a, a good amount of time explaining what pressurization is, what a pack is, you know, uh, what happens in this situation, what, what we're dealing with up front, as Nick was just telling us about. Um, talking about the oxygen generators themselves and how they work, the mechanics of the chemical, um, uh, what, chemical um, uh, reaction uh, of the various components of this thing where they're creating oxygen and they get really hot. Don't be surprised if you start smelling something that smells like it's burning and you know, seeing maybe smoke, you know, from the, some of these um, uh, units uh, in the ceiling, etc. So I really high, highly recommend that you watch the Lydia, the, the Lydia that I've linked to um, <laughs> the video to which yeah, I've linked. Like, good night. Well done. And I've, I've only had half of this can of beer, which by the way, is my last rock your wings from the 50th, um, 50 years in Osh, Oshkosh 2019 German style Amber, by the way. So I was Very trying nice. to feel like I was in Frankfurt for the, for the great meetup there. Um, but you know, I only got a little bit of the way there. All right. Anything else to say, uh, regarding this? I think the crew did a great job. Uh, yeah, the I certainly do as well. And, uh, it is typical press trying, uh, over and plate, make something more dramatic. Uh, but you know, it is actually an unusual, uh, occurrence to do an emergency descent. Um, but, it was conducted very well, and there really was no major concern for the passengers, I didn't think. Right. All right. I, you know what? I'm going to save the – I'm not going to do item E. Um, maybe save that for a, a future episode. But I would like for us to wait until Steph comes back before we do the next segment of the show. So – I don't know. Did anybody see? Was it something you think that we may have said, either Nick or myself, that uh, offended her and made her? No, I, th- I get think up and she leave? left the big ass uh, to uh, say her piece. Uh, it's still there in the. Oh video. yeah, I see. Uh, I, I see. What, what was the name again of the uh, of that one? Fanny. Fanny. That's right. Fanny is uh, the there. Big Fanny. <laughs> um, we'll wait just a few minutes uh, more, and hopefully she'll return. Um, have you got some elevated music to play? Some nice calming. Um, uh, let's see what if I can, what I can find. I'm sure I can find something. Oh, something. Kelly said her phone rang. Oh, so she's probably taking a call from the office. Well, give her a ring and see if you can. Oh, <laughs> send it. We'd text her a message, couldn't we? Yeah, we could do that, or we could yeah. uh, we could put her telephone number out on the public chat, and then everybody and everyone can else contact could her. Give her a ring. Yep. Oh, look, she's back. Oh, okay. And uh, now she's Hi. back. We have to stop talking about her. <laughs> shh, shh. <laughs> Hello. Did I miss something? No, no you no, never no, do. Nothing. Sorry. I had to take that phone call. <laughs> I, and I tried, to, I tried to send you a message real quick, and I just was like fumbling with the keyboard and couldn't and had to answer uh-huh. that. So I oh, no problem. Hi. Good. Well, um, so what's up? We kind of we we finished our um, analysis of the news items. Excellent. And I thought well done. that uh, thank you. <laughs> like she didn't hear a thing. Um, and uh, now I think it would be a good time to getting to know you. <laughs> <laughs> 
getting to know all about you. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, getting to like you, I think. The King and I. Wasn't yes, it is from The King and I. Anyway, so it's the section where we kind of get to know each other and find oh, out I what like everyone has been doing since the last time that I was going to say last show, but last time they were on the show. And uh, let's start with Dr. Steph. Was I in England the last time I was on the show? Um, you might no. have been. I, I think back? so. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it was. Because you weren't on the show last week. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that you, makes were, sense. you were at Nick's I don't house. Know, I've lost track of all all days and times here. So, hmm. um, yeah, I'd like to say that since I've been back, it's been very relaxing and calm and everything's been quiet and under control. And, um, yeah, we could, we could go with that. That phone call is representative of how my week, two past two weeks have been actually. Yeah. So it has not uh, been calm and work has been quite hectic. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of stuff happening, changes taking place, details I cannot get into, but anyone who's ever been in any sort of business ever knows that sometimes things aren't always, um, smooth sailing from the business side of things. So let's just say that there's some of that, uh, afoot at the moment. Um, just, uh, in addition to everything else that we have to do with, with work. So regular patient load to see and some additional stuff on top of that. So been very busy, um, got home and you would think I would have a weekend after being out of the country to just relax sure. and enjoy and chill. And, um, no, I went to, uh, my cousin got married in Chicago last weekend. So I flew out there for basically 24 hours. Um, had my brothers fly out there as well, but I flew them through Charlotte. So Salt Lake to Chicago via Charlotte. That makes sense. Um, well, you got to, we, did you get to go with them when they came through Charlotte? Yes. Oh, yeah. awesome. We all joined on the same flight. Yeah. Um, so I met them at the airport and then we, uh, you know, just piled in the rental car, basically dropped our stuff at the hotel, went to the ceremony and then had a couple hours to kill. Um, kind of nice. We went to a local brewery in uh, Lamont, Illinois and uh, hung out with some family for a few hours. And then we were going to go back to the hotel and get ready for the reception, just kind of, you know, clean up a little bit. And uh, we were really close to where the town where we grew up and my brothers hadn't been there for a while. And they said, eh, do you mind if we just, just drive past the old house or the old elementary school or something just so we can see it? So yeah, sure. It's like three minutes away. So we drove over there. And as we were driving past our old house, the house next to ours, our, our former neighbors, um, there's a lady walking out front. And I looked and I said, oh my gosh, that is our old neighbor. So I rolled down the window and I yelled out her name at her. I was like, Erica. And uh, she she turned around and she, was, she looked at all of us and she got this really confused look on her face because I think the last time we saw her was probably in 1995. Wow. And I want to say- A long she time was, ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, things change. I wasn't even sure if they still live there, were still alive because um, they were kind of- mm, I'd probably say maybe either late fifties or early sixties when we lived there. So that was quite, you know, that's a long period of time. You don't know what happens in that time frame. So, mm -hmm. um, got out of the car and said, Hey, you know, Stephanie, this is my brothers. We live next door to you for, you know, however many years back in the, in the nineties. And she said, Oh my God, you know, and then all of a sudden she remembered it, you know, exactly who we were. And we probably spent the next 45 minutes just catching up on everything, which was, was really great. Um, and it was really sweet because I didn't realize my youngest brother had spent a lot of time at her house with her just hanging out when he, when we were kids, because my, myself and my middle brother, we were in school most of that time, but he was 
pretty young and wasn't in school full time. So he would just leave our house, wander over to her house and and hang out. So they had a lot of a lot of stuff to catch up on. That was pretty fun. Cool. Um, so we did that and then we drove by the old elementary school and then we were suitably or fashionably late for the uh, reception. We never stopped back at the hotel to kind of <laughs> tidy up a little bit. We just went straight there. It was fine. And um, yeah, had a great time just catching up with friends and family and then flew back home the next day. And then back to work, back to the chaos. Work, work How were the flights? Work, 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 work. <laughs> uh, how were the flights? Yep. Flights were good. I got my um, my upgrade requests. So I left my brothers in the back and I sat up front. <laughs> uh, Quite right. So, yeah. Well, you know. It's the way it should be, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, no, they were good. They were um, nice American Airlines flights. I think they were both on A321s. I think I was asleep for most of both of them. Hmm. Anyway. As were the pilots. As were the pilots, yes. Just, yeah. No. <laughs> very, very. Uh, and, you know, for going into O'Hare on time. Um, yeah. Nothing, That's right. You don't like to crazy. go to O'Hare, do you? I hate O'Hare. <laughs> I really do. It's my least favorite Chicago. Did you get any before. Chicago dogs or uh, Italian beef yeah, on we, this trip? Yeah, we had, we had a Chicago hot dog. Okay. Um, we had time to go there before the wedding, before the actual ceremony. So and we definitely needed to eat because all we had done before that was sit in the lounge for about an hour before our first, well, my first flight, my brother's second flight mm -hmm. to Chicago and had some, uh, I don't know, yogurt and cereal and bagels. And the bar doesn't even open until 7 a.m. Our flight was at, set, well, boarding at 7.05. All we wanted was a drink. <laughs> 7.05 it's in the morning five on a Saturday. Five o'clock somewhere. 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 <laughs> Probably. Yeah, maybe. Know, like the middle of the Pacific. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's uh, always, always fun to be with family. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was really nice. Um, it, it was a nice weekend. But good. Yeah. Glad to hear it. And sorry that uh, work has been so work, work. crazy said, and, it's just and work, work, hectic. Work 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 work, 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 work. It's really interfering with the other fun things I want to do in life. But right. I suppose at some point you have to earn your living, right? I guess. Mm, yeah. Not everybody anyway. does, but most people do. I guess if you're independently wealthy, you wouldn't have to, but right. sadly not the chug, case. Chug, 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 chug. Saw Nick in the background I know. drinking his beer. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, anyway, missed you guys last week, and I'm glad to, um, I guess I missed you just because I didn't have, it didn't work for my schedule, right? I was, yeah. Um, it was kind of a hectic work week that week as well, yeah. and you had a whole bunch yeah, of no, stuff both, booked both up. Of these weeks have, yeah, yeah, both of these weeks have just been been bad, so. But anyway, moving on. Okay. All's good. I'm I'm well and healthy and everything else is good. Family's well and you know. Good. No complaints really. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Um let's see. Dana's not here with us. He did have a meetup uh between last show, which he was on, and this show, which he's not. And um, what do you guys think? Should we play the the audio that he recorded or should we wait until he returns and then we can play it? Oh, it's probably pretty self-explanatory isn't it i think it is and i have listened to it and i think it is very self-explanatory so without further ado this is what dana has been doing since well and a lot more uh, but this is a little bit of what he has been doing since the last episode hello apg community this is captain dana here and i am sitting here at metropolitan grill and Kitchen Lounge uh, in the Baltimore area, actually Annapolis, Maryland, had a fantastic 
evening and dinner. Fortunately for a change, I wasn't by myself. Had some company come join me, and I'll let them introduce themselves as they uh, normally will uh, when they talk to everybody. But earlier, I had the distinct opportunity to have Becky come join me. She drove all the way down from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, down here to Baltimore just to meet me, and she just spent one hour. However, I had a little technical difficulty, and the recording has uh, been since uh, erased, so I I don't have that. So I have to apologize to that, Becky. But uh, Becky, I'm sorry, and uh, I hopefully can recover it somehow. But if not, you have my apology. Even though that's what you wanted, is it for not to, for us not to record that? Anyways, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and hand over the microphone. I'm going to go ahead and uh, I heard somebody's in the bathroom. Uh, might be coming back to the table. I hope he washes hands. So here he is. Greetings, APG listeners. I am not in the bathroom. <laughs> As <laughs> Captain Dana pointed out, I'm here with some really good friends. Some of you uh, will recognize some of the names and faces, or at least well, if you can see, can't see the faces, but you'll get the names and voices. How about that? And um, so it's like a little little teeny tiny Oshkosh reunion at the moment. So we met a lot of these folks in Oshkosh. I'm not going to talk about who they are since they'll introduce themselves, but it's been great to hang out with Captain Dana, hear some of his stories and swap uh, some airplane and hangar talk and airline talk and travel and a lot of other fun stuff. And apparently the view behind me was really good because they were very distracted by some, apparent, some <laughs> apparently there were some pretty women behind me. That's why I got the, the bad seat. I was in the bathroom actually <laughs> when, when we sat down. Figure. So in any way, speaking of... <laughs> speak, speaking of pretty women, I hear this guy has a lovely wife. <laughs> Wish they, I knew what they were laughing about. Hey, listeners, how y'all doing? My name is Marks. Uh, I was fortunate enough to meet Captain Dana at uh, 2019 uh, Air Venture, and great to come grab a bite with him in town, catch up, good food, good friends. Always enjoy hanging out with these guys. And I don't really have a good segue for you, so I'm just going to hand you the microphone. <laughs> Hello, APG uh, community. This is Robert Hamish, uh, or if you ask Jeff, Dick. You can just call me Dick. Uh, thanks for that, Captain Nick. And Jeff, you guys really did a good job with that. Um, had a great night tonight. Nice to see Dana and Hillel. And always nice to get Marks out and do a little uh, little good food here in Annapolis. I think we've got a pretty good record going here where I never see Dana in the same place twice. So I don't know where we'll be next time, but I'm pretty sure it won't be in this state, even if he lands in Baltimore. Anyway, uh, nice to see everybody here tonight. And it's been a, been a lot of fun. Look forward to the next time. Well, as you can hear, we're having a great time uh, here in Baltimore and uh, certainly honored that these uh, guys on a Tuesday evening uh, took the time to fight the D.C. area traffic, which is notoriously bad, to come out and uh, spend an evening with uh, humble old me, old Captain Dana. But anyways, uh, I have to say it's been a fun night. Uh, not a whole lot of drinking going on, but that's all right. We don't need to have drinking to have a lot of fun and bickering. And uh, everybody keeps on looking at this uh, microphone blue light, and it's blinding us all. So uh, on that note, uh, I'm going to send it back to Jeff in the studio. We'll uh, see you on the next APG show. Bye-bye. All right. Well, thanks, Dana, and it was great to hear from all those familiar voices in our APG community. So that was uh, sounded like a good time. I really do wish I uh, knew what they were 
giggling and laughing about when Hillel was being interviewed, but uh, maybe we'll find out. Yeah, I'm not sure we want to know. (laughs) Probably not. Probably best. Yeah, just just let that one go. Yeah, okay. So, uh, lots of fun, sounds like. Uh, Just a reminder to everyone that uh, we have an APG community calendar and also uh, a thing called Slack, which Hillel will tell us about how you can join uh, at the end of the show. Uh, But the calendar, uh, not only is it available to the folks that are part of our Slack community, but it is also on our AirlinePilotGuy.com website. And it's a great place to go, and you can add it to your own Google calendar, except for Micah. We can't figure out why. Micah can't add the airline, uh, the uh, APG community calendar to his calendar, and I tried to to do it as well, and I ran into a, a dead really? end. Yeah, I don't know what's it's going on. It's a defective on. version of Google Calendar. I guess I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what's going on there, but anyway, almost everybody else can actually uh, put the uh, community calendar, the APG calendar, on their own personal calendar if they're using Google, and probably uh, some other. I don't know. So. Oh, quit poking the people uh, in the. Uh, uh, it looks... My camera is backwards, and I can't figure out which way. I, <laughs> I know. Need to point it. Yeah, it's different than from what Hangouts. The the interface we were using before it was it was kind of a mirror image, and now the. No, it's mirror. This is. Oh, yeah. this is mirror. Yeah. No, mirror would show. So I'm show, holding up my right oh, hand, oh, and it's yeah, on the left yeah, side. Yeah. So it's not yeah. mirror image. And uh, so it's that's what we're used to for so many years. And now this uh, StreamYard um, interface is not mirror image. And it, yeah, I, I'm doing the same thing. I'll, I'll go to uh, like run some fingers through my hair and it'll just and like, look up and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and my hair sticking straight up. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Someone asked, um, I can't even point in the right direction to my. <laughs> yes. Oh, you got it. There that, you go. Oh, no, it's over here. No, it's there. That, yeah. No, that pillow. <laughs> yeah, the pillow. Why is that so disorienting? That's weird. Um, it is a sectional. It is a sectional. Okay. Phil Timmer. Um, yeah, someone asked about that. Yes. Anyway. All right. Um, Charlotte. Anyway. Yeah, it, it is the uh, Charlotte um, sectional. Or mm, Yeah, or whatever. the part of the sectional. That, that part of, yeah, where Charlotte's. Yes. I got it. Okay. Oh, all right. Well, um, let's move on with some more stuff uh shall i just keep going or do you want to take over uh, nick i'll keep going mate okay so um speaking of phil timmer who was asking about the uh sectional pill uh, pillow in stephanie's background or the other side yeah um phil timmer um is uh, not a uh, stranger to the airline pilot guy show he first sent us some audio feedback regarding his uh his aviation career back in 2016, June of 2016. And he sent us a couple of other um, email updates over time. And uh, at that point, he was telling us about how he was leaving the mortgage banking industry and getting into aviation. And uh, through the journey, he ended up flying. I'm not sure about the uh, being an instructor, but he did do some survey flying. And then he got a job with, I think, Cape Air uh, as a first officer and then captain. And then he got picked up by SkyWest. And uh, he upgraded to captain, I believe, sometime um, not too long ago. And he contacted me and said, hey, I'm, I'm on a layover in Atlanta, and I see that you're going to be reporting for your trip um, on Monday morning. I was wondering if you want to get together for some coffee. And I said, absolutely. So uh, I changed, I did a, uh, what do you call it, a uh, 
uh, an audible and uh, said, let's uh, go over to the IHOP Express, uh, uh, International House of Pancakes, and uh, had a nice breakfast with uh, Phil and coffee and uh, got all caught up with him. So I just wanted to make a, a big shout out to Phil. I forgot, even though I had it with me, I forgot to uh, do a recording of our little mini meetup. Sorry, Phil. Next time. And uh, let's see, that trip uh, was a four-day trip. The first day, uh, layover in Portland, and I uh, got together with Micah, and uh, we basically just had a nice, easy-going day. He took me to the uh, the Bug Light and the Portland Breakwater Light, I believe, and some other places that uh, I think that, Steph, you've uh, you probably got the same tour, and... Uh, well, I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and we watched the, they were running the, uh, Harbor visual approach into runway two nine that day. And so we kind of sat on the bench and watched several different airlines come in and, and their version of the Harbor visual. Everyone was doing a little bit different track, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting, but that was cool. And then we went back to, um, oh wait, we ate. Where did we eat? We ate lunch somewhere. Oh, that's right. We had a big lunch at DeMillo's. Um, uh, it's like a, a floating barge kind of restaurant. Uh, or actually, it was an old ferry boat that was converted to a restaurant at the end of a pier in uh, downtown Portland. And that was nice. And then uh, when we went back to Micah's place, he had, uh, let's see, what did he serve me? He served me some uh, green chili, green chili and uh it was really, really good. Nice and spicy and really just excellent. So thanks, Micah, for that. He's with us in the chat room right now. Um, the next day uh, was a nice, easy day. We went down to Atlanta and then back up to uh, Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, it was just a standard layover there for me. And then the next day, Atlanta, Portland again. And this time was a really fun time. We uh, were met at the hotel. I was met at the hotel. By not only Micah, but also this guy named Max Flight. Some of you may have heard of him. He is the host, the creator, uh, the head honcho over there at the Airplane Geeks, which started in 2008. So I think it's the longest running aviation podcast out there. And uh, so the three of us got into Micah's car. Micah did a wonderful job uh, as caterer. He fixed up um, some sandwiches in a little cooler and some nice cold drinks. And up we went from Portland, Maine to uh, Lewiston, Auburn, Maine, uh, the Auburn-Lewiston airport. And uh, we, when we got there, the reason why we went up there is there's a, a foundation called the Collin, Collings Foundation, C-O-L-L-I-N-G-S. Uh, they have something called the Wings of Freedom, and they do a tour. This is their 2019 uh, tour. They, they have several World War II vintage airplanes. And I'll probably forget one. Micah, help me out if I forget. But it's a B-17G, I believe, a B-24 um, Liberator. I think it's the it's the last or the only uh, B-24 that is still in flying condition. Uh, they flew that. We, we got to see them all fly in, by the way. Uh, they were running late, and we were too. So by the time we got there, it was perfect. We got to see all these old warbirds uh, land ahead of us. I guess the only one. No, we did see the P-40 land as well. Uh, P-40D, I think. Um, a, a P-51, I'm not sure what model that was, maybe a C uh, that has been converted to a two-place, um, and uh, B-25 Mitchell, and 
I don't think the UH-1 helicopter was part of their foundation. That was just another thing that was there. It has nothing to do with World War II, and uh, they were giving rides. Uh, and one of the cool things about the Collings Foundation is that uh, they also have give people the opportunity to take rides on these warbirds. And uh, I think it was like $450 for uh, a ride in the bombers and um, uh, much more expensive for the rides in the P-51 and the P-40. Uh, they were like... How long were these rides for? Uh, well, the the tw- the, uh, the P-51 and P-40 rides were like, uh, you could get either the half an hour for like 2500 and an hour for 3500 or something. What? Um, yeah. Wow. But I guess you get instruction and do all kinds of great things in, in oh. those airplanes. And this is all to help them raise money for their sure, uh, sure, museum. Sure. And the uh, the bombers, um, when they left, uh, we saw. I think I saw it twice. Uh, load up with some people uh, taking rides uh, on the B twenty five, and they were gone for a good. I'd say, you know, Micah, help me out. I think probably um, at least a half an hour, twenty five minutes, a half an hour or so on those rides. So. You know, you got your money's worth, I think. Um, and so uh, if you're people like us who didn't uh, have the extra 450 in cash to take a ride, uh, we, we were on a space available kind of list, but uh, unfortunately they didn't have enough people signing up for rides that day, and so they couldn't afford to take up free loaders like us. <laughs> so, um, But uh, the cool thing is that even if you didn't go on one of these rides, they had these open the, these airplanes on the ramp open. There was nothing, no barriers. You could walk right up inside and walk through and basically unrestricted. Nobody there to say, don't touch that, don't touch that. Um, wow, that's really it. nice. I'm kind of surprised. Me too. Uh, and let me tell could you, you what. Uh, hide in the toilet and get a free ride? Well, I think maybe you could do that. I don't know. That might be a little <laughs> risky. Um, the the little be the nicest ride? No. no. Yeah. Those little, it was amazing to me how tiny everything is inside. You know, you see pictures of a B-17 and a B-24, and they look huge. But then when you actually get up to one and go inside one, it's very tight. Everything is very small. I don't know how a man, or really a boy, is able to crawl down in and get through a hatch into those. People were just smaller back then. I think so. And they were very young, too. (laughs) They were, you know, like uh, teenagers, uh, some of these guys flying uh, on these warbirds. And to, to get into that little ball turret gunner th- position, I, I'm thinking, I don't I don't know if I would have ever been able to fit through that. Uh, and getting through those little walkways, I'm sure there's a, a uh, an official name for whatever those things are called. That, mm-hmm. But the, the space that you had to walk from like the back to the front was maybe, I don't know, six inches, seven inches wide. Oh. And uh, and the anyway, it was it was really, really cool that they let us kind of just crawl around in there and check the whole thing out. And um, what else was I going to say about that? Do you have a uh, new friend, Norma? Oh, how did you find out about Norma? Oh, you know, little birdies tell me things. Yeah. Oh, I see. Micah. Yeah. Yeah, I was standing there. An older lady. The only ladies that really like me are really old ladies. I was walking up in a cane and, and she kind of brushed up against me. I'm not sure if she did that on purpose or not. And uh and then I kind of made some kind of a, whoa. And then she goes, and then she looked at me like with serious, like, uh, oh, yeah, okay. And we started talking and she started grabbing my arm and everything else. And I'm thinking, okay, oh this is a little, a little uncomfortable. But uh, anyway, that was, she was from, uh, where was she from, uh, Micah? Like old, old town or something like that? Somewhere white, like four hour drive north of. Uh, of Very appropriate. Yeah. 
Yes, the old lady from Old Town. <laughs> yeah, really. Doesn't sound. I think that's probably. Thank heaven she didn't come from Gastown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not very happy about that. Uh, old Town. I was right near Bangor, uh, Maine. So it's way up there. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So thanks for for mentioning my friend Norma, who, by the way, had uh, she was kind of like the kids wearing. She had like a, a what was it, purplish, uh, pink tinted, blonde hair. Oh, she had some not blue. No. This was um, not like a legit, she was, like like purple, like the millennials will put in their hair, like yeah, yeah. The different little yeah. streaks of yeah. fun colors. Yeah, she was hip. Anyway, she's probably on the social meds too, and probably I bet she uh, is. Maybe she's well, listening there was right now. Something you said earlier that I can't call back right now. That was <laughs> anyway. Yeah, don't worry about it, stuff. It's because I'm old. Yeah, and uh-huh. I can't remember You're things ancient. anymore. Uh, anyway, so great time. And uh, after all of that, we uh, headed back down toward Portland and stopped in Gorham, Maine at a restaurant that you might be familiar with, uh, Steph. Mm, that town uh, sounds familiar, yeah. The Ocean Garden, I believe, is the name I of the place. It's kind of a family restaurant, seafood restaurant, yep, where they yep, have family restaurant. Yep. They have a special deal on lobster. Uh, mm-hmm. One for 17, two for 24, and three for 34. Or 35, Woo-hoo. something like that. That's what Steph went for. And I'm thinking the whole time, uh, Micah kept encouraging me to get three, just as you did, Steph. And I said, I'm mm-hmm. not Steph. And so I only got the two, a lobster, which was plenty, by the way. And uh, so that was a lot mm-hmm. of fun. And by the way, uh, a gentleman that uh, Nick probably will recognize his name, uh, Vernon Tryon. Um, oh, yes. I former air traffic controller and certified flight instructor, et cetera, yep. et cetera. Edmund Pop near Portsmouth. Yep. And uh, over there in the UK. And, well, uh, he just happened to be on vacation with his wife, Ruth, and they were meeting up with another couple that they like to uh, take trips with to the uh, I can't re- Old Orchard Beach, I think. Uh, O-O-B. Oob. And uh, so he contacted um, Micah uh, to let him know he was going to be there and maybe meet up. And it was, he said it was just like gravy that not only was I there as well, but also Max Flight because he listens to uh, the Airplane Geeks podcast like we all do. And so they all, that foursome, came over and met us at the Ocean Garden. And uh, we had a wonderful meetup and meal. And I pulled out. Well, my H five <laughs> digital audio recorder, and recorded this. We're here at the Ocean Gardens in Gorham, Maine. Uh, again? It's again, yes, uh, Steph, the place that you uh, hogged down three lobsters. I don't know how you did that because yes, uh, I don't know. Do you recognize this voice? This is Vernon, retired CFI and former air traffic controller from Fort Morgan, Colorado. And you're not in Fort Morgan, Colorado now, are you? Today we're in Maine, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Gorham, Maine, exactly. And uh, yeah, so uh, we found out that, uh, that that Vernon was going to be out here with his wife, Ruth. And we came anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I just so happen to have a layover here. Max Flight is here, yes. the uh, host and producer of the Airplane Geeks podcast. Say hi, Max. Hey, hello, everybody. I'm... Uh... Full of seafood. Boy, the food here is terrific, and it's uh, uh, highly recommended. Check it out. Well, Max and uh, Micah and I uh, went up to Lewiston, Auburn, Auburn, Lewiston. I don't know what the correct, okay, Uh, 
airport for um, a wonderful Warbird demonstration um, display. It was the uh, Wings of Freedom tour with the Collings Foundation, and we got to visit with a B-17, a B-24, a B-25, a P-40, and a P-51, and what a treat that was to be able to do it with you guys. Lots of letters and numbers. And so we came back and found out that uh, Vernon and his wife, Ruth, and their friends, Brian and Carol, uh, were, were here in town at the something orchard. Old Orchard Beach, also known as OOB. OOB. And we decided, hey, let's all get together at this place in Gorham. And uh, so here we are. So again, um, Vernon, so nice to meet you in person. You've sent a lot of uh, feedback into our show. And uh, what, el what else would you like to say? Turn the uh, turn signal off if you're on the side of the airplane and the light keep flashing out there. Just remind the pilot to turn that cotton pick and turn signal off. <laughs> Don't hesitate to do that. Just ring the flight attendant call button and tell them to turn the turn signal off. Yeah, and if you have an opportunity to see the Collings Foundation Freedom of uh, Wings Tour, Wings of Freedom, wings of freedom that Tour, that too, that one as well, um, <laughs> highly, highly recommended. It's a fantastic opportunity to see some of these old warbirds. Uh, if you're of the uh, mind to have a flight in one, you can do that. But otherwise, just you know, bring your family, bring your kids, wander through the, uh, the whole bombers. Uh, Talked to some of the folks there. We ran into some interesting people along the way, including an, a 96-year-old B-17 tail gunner. We had a great conversation with him, but these kind of events are always good opportunities to meet uh, interesting and fun people. Please be sure to tune in to the Airplane Geeks podcast, where you're going to hear from that very old tail gunner on that B-17 and much, much more. And, uh, yeah, highly recommend uh, that you, if you're ever in a place where they're touring, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great experience. And with that, unless anybody else wants to say anything, it was delightful. Had a great evening. Thank you, everyone. And that's all from the Ocean Gardens in Gorham, Maine. Back to you, Jeff. <laughs> oh, I thought you guys were laughing. Um, I am. I yeah. was just muted. Hey, I uh, had a little trouble with that one. I don't know why. Recall. It was just like, yeah. I, I can't get that darn name in my head. Uh, anyway, I guess it has something to do with my advanced age. <sighs> and it's just going to get worse. Mm. Oh, well. Anyway, so great time. Uh, as I mentioned, three layovers this month in Portland, Maine. I don't, I don't have any layovers in Portland next month. And uh, if you want to check out where I'll be and where uh, Dana will be, please check out the APG calendar on our website. Speaking of websites and apps and all that jazz, I need to let you know that I've, I've made a decision about something. And for, uh, for several years now, we've had an app that uh, is available on your iOS device and your Android device. And at one point, push notifications were working pretty well and consistently, but we've had issues with that working correctly over, over the years. And we've had several other issues behind the scenes that uh, uh, we haven't shared with you, but uh, it's been a struggle to kind of uh, keep that thing running. And it's, it's not something that's really cheap either. Uh, having your own app is not, is not um, an inexpensive thing to provide for your community. And so I, I did a lot of thinking and I, I kept looking at our airline pilot guy website 
uh, on presented on the phone. And the word I was looking for on the show when I was talking about the type of websites that are de- designed to kind of adjust to whatever device you're viewing it on is called responsive. And the uh, Arash has made our website responsive, which means that if you look at it on a on a telephone, it it's formatted specifically for the telephone, for a tablet, for the tablet, etc. You get the idea. And it has all of the functionality that the apps have and without having to go to the app store to download an app. And uh, so I've decided that uh, we'll just go ahead and forget the uh, the, the individual apps, not going to renew the subscription, uh, with, which is just a few weeks from now. Um, but again, everything that you can do on those apps, you can do on the phone uh, or the, oh, dang it. <laughs> I keep forgetting there's a boom here. <laughs> um, and microphone. Yes. You know, 393 yeah. shows. I know. You'd what think, is this I, but this is a stuff? little bit different. I'm standing behind oh. this, um, uh, what is this, uh, from Ikea. You're, this you're a stand up, up again? A stand-up desk. And, switched up the... and I don't have my, so I'm not sitting at my, my normal position in, in, mm-hmm. in front of my desk that has a, a really nice boom, articulated boom. This is mm-hmm. just a regular, uh, you know, you know, you recognize this, I'm sure. Well, you can't yes. see it, but it's the, it's a regular uh, microphone yes. stand yes. off to the side. And I keep forgetting it's there. Sorry. Um, but uh, you can, you can listen to the podcast. You can watch the YouTube channel. Actually, you can do more with the, uh, with the website than you can with the apps themselves. And by the way, I think the calendar presentation on your individual device is better because it actually looks like a Google calendar than it, the, mm. the experience that you have with the apps. Um, let's see what else. As you're like waving your phone around, I'm just so nervous that you're going to like lose your grip on it. It's going to go. You know, if it does, it's Why? okay. It's, this is a seven plus. Well, it's an I, old I, phone. I'm going to go through your television. And <laughs> oh, that would be your yes. television. That would or not be the phone. computer screen or something. And <laughs> okay. Just be cut off. I'm going to go um, ahead and set so anyway, this down. So, so maybe what people should do is bookmark the site so you can easily access it. Even better on, I think, I'm sure you can do this on Android devices, but I know for sure you can on an iOS device. When you're on our website on your phone or your tablet, uh, at the bottom, there's like this little box with an up arrow, which is like the, the indication to do something. With Go that. up? Well, no. Sorry. <laughs> That's not what it's there for. Uh, it's it's to uh, like send slide, send the page slide. or the whatever to something else or open up this other app that interacts with whatever. One of the items on there is says add to home screen. And so if you hit, if you select that, what happens is it creates an icon of our of our show and I'm not sure exactly what it uses for the art, probably whatever's on the screen at the time. So that's kind of a little bit clunky, but on your home screen, on your device, there's a, it'll be an icon just like an app. And if you just, you click on the icon, just as you do on a regular app, it opens up in your phone. What what happens is it opens up in your browser, but it's kind of like, like a virtual app basically. Mm. And uh, so I recommend that you do that. Go to the airline pilot guy, website oh my gosh. on your uh <laughs> yeah i'm there i'm there and then um at the at the bottom um you'll see or a little arrow yeah see yeah. the little arrow and you press and on that, that. Just takes me to the top no 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 not the thing on the it's side on the, oh, it's not it's like a box with an arrow i think oh I okay i've got it now yeah box okay with an arrow. yeah it's at the very bottom menu and then yeah. you press that and it says 
Mm-hmm. Add like it says, add to favorites, add bookmark, last pass. Well, that's what mine says. And there's an item that says add to home screen. You click on, on that. On Android, hit the three little dots in the upper right hand corner and select add to home screen. How did you know that, thank Steph? You, Gail. Oh, Gail. Thank you, Gail. So there you go. So now, and now I, we can just I put all our. What? I can't do it. What do you mean you can't do it? Is it not well, allowed in the UK? Well, no, I'm just. Uh, it's the box with the arrow. Yeah. Are you looking at our website? Do you need us to send yeah. over text? Okay. So what happens when you click the box with the arrow? I get like a line of apps, and then the bottom is his copy URL, refresh, uh, add to reading list, open in Safari, more, which doesn't okay, click on more. more at all. Doesn't? Yeah. Well, doesn't why doesn't, uh, will you have something add not? To collect board, copy URL, last pass, refresh, find on page, add to reading list, open in Safari. You don't have o- add to home screen? No. That's it's odd. It's like the fifth one down. Copy, add to reading list, add yeah, bookmark, so add to favorites, find on page, add to home screen. Yeah. No, right after no, add to reading no. list on mine. And be, between oh, mine's add, right after find on page. I think the order well, This is open in Safari. Is that because I've opened it in Chrome? Oh, oh yeah, open it in Safari. Yeah, it's got to be a Safari. Ah, Sorry. Okay, so we, we're My getting, bad. The, getting the stuff. There you okay, go. That's We've solved the issue. Tech support. Well, yeah. well, we'll see. <laughs> I'm going to try this. Program. Welcome to the ABG Tech Support Show. Yes. Hmm. It's well, fascinating, isn't it? This is what you come here for, right? Well, this if, is if, high quality. If you can teach me to do it, then everyone will. That's a good point. Well. Thank you, yes. Gail, because I didn't. I have not checked out how to do that on my. Uh, the only Android device that I have is a Samsung Tab A. I think it's an old tablet, and I just didn't get a chance to play around with it to see how to do that on uh, that. But I figured Android would definitely have a way to do it. Probably they probably had the way to do it before the iOS did. Uh, in fact, add to home screen. I found it. Yes, there you go. Oh, yeah. Then you can move that around just like it's an app. And when you when you click on it, and it it'll open up the browser, but you don't even know it. I mean, it doesn't. You don't know you're opening up a browser. You cheapskate. I've got a picture of the coffee bar fund. <laughs> well, I don't know. Mine says the latest aviation news and answers to your questions. Oh, and let's see what mine is mine. Coffee fund. But it works. It, it's, a, it's a shortcut straight to the. Uh, I like that. That's good. Yeah, I don't know if it, it has something to do the art that it takes. Uh, whatever page you happen to be on and looking at, mine looks like the the home page, uh, like the the splash. Whatever you, if you go to the airlinepilotguy.com uh, without putting anything after that uh, that page, and it looks like it just snapped a little tiny picture of it, and then it shows up on your. Uh, on your phone, just like an app. And uh, it has oh, all the yeah, functionality. Yeah. It has the store. It has the library. See what I mean? It has more than the apps have. It has all the stuff that you find on the on the, on the the big website. And uh, it has like a little hamburger menu at the top. To, uh, and it has nothing to do with hamburgers. Oh, That's what they call it. The little yeah, line, you know, really the parallel lines, um, horizontal lines. They call that a hamburger menu. And, in, in you know, the lingo in the, in the coding world. Um, in the parlance. Yeah, coffee. Let's see, home podcasts, APG on YouTube. In the social media world. In the social media world, coffee fund at APG store. Uh, you can still uh, use this to contact us with uh, your feedback or speak pipe, and uh, has the calendar. So, got all that. So, there you go. You're welcome. And ah, it'll be a major burden lifted off our shoulders here because we're always kind of like dealing and wrestling with that darn. Uh, app and the good barber the company that we use to uh to produce it so there you have it i spent way more time on that than i expected to so sorry about that 
Um, Just, uh, you know, cut it out in post. Yeah. Now nah, I'll probably leave it in there. Yeah. It'll help uh, someone. It'll yeah. help one person. Yeah. If it helps one person, issues. it's worth it. Help, help me. Yeah. There you go. Hopefully the rest of you have fast forwarded to this point where we <laughs> rejoined the usual aviation uh, yes. feedback. And program. now back to our regular programming. And without further, oh, wait a minute. Hang on. We have a lot more to talk about. Nick, what have, I usually do this with Steph. <laughs> go, Excuse me. Um, you haven't heard what I, 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 I did. Hello. Oh, I, I haven't done much. Yeah. Okay. I, Tell that's me not you, true. Liar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I went to Frankfurt, which was great. And uh, met up with a bunch of uh, uh, lovely uh, uh, Av geeks uh, in Germany and Holland and other places uh, nearby who decided to come join us there for a great Avgeek uh, um, day. And there's some audio, which I think will explain a lot of it. I actually have something here that appears to be audio from the Frankfurt meetup. So let me click Brilliant. this button. Brilliant. Hi, uh, APG uh, crew and uh, lovely listeners. I'm here in Germany and uh, I am at Frankfurt and there's an Irishman here. I don't know quite why there's an Irishman here in Frankfurt, but perhaps he'll explain. Well, there's some good beer in, uh, in Germany, so that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good reason. You left Ireland for German beer? No, 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 no. I left, uh, I left Dubai for German beer. So there's quite a bit of a difference there. We have, of course, the lovely Owen. And uh, he's sitting here having a beer. And uh, I think it's just marvelous. Here we are uh, in a country uh, where neither of us came from or currently live. And yet we've managed to find each other. And here we are drinking beer together. Uh, it's, it's really nice. And it's, uh, it's a lovely part of the aviation uh, world that we can do this. Regularly or uh, irregularly or whenever we, we want to or whenever we, we can make it happen? Whenever we can. That's exactly right. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much, Anne. I'm going to uh, head off around and uh, chat to everyone. Catch you later. Cool. Catch you later. So, uh, Marcus, uh, this has been a fantastic meetup. What do you reckon? It's not been. It's still ising. I mean, it's still going on. <laughs> but yes, I agree. It was very nice. We, we went to the tower, Frankfurt Tower. Uh, Steffen organized that part. Then we had the um, airport tour, which you didn't probably have very much fun with because it was in German. And it was uh, words other than beer and chocolate and alle in hovercrafts, right? Um, and now we're at this uh, pub here where we just had a bunch of talks, like each of the four of us gave a nominally 15-minute talk. I think I stick to the 15 minutes, nobody else cared. Um, about You talked about F-18 flying, Stefan about the 380 and his career, uh, Oli about cargo flying, and I talked about the failed uh, parabolic flight. So cool stuff, yes. I must admit, out of all of them, I preferred yours. It was absolutely brilliant because uh, that's something I would love to have a go at. Yeah, well, I would have loved to have a go, have had a go at it as well. Um, well, the, the aircraft broke on the last day. It was the first time, literally in 20 years, that they had to cancel a flight, and it was mine. That is such a shame. I guess we're going to have to listen to uh, Omi Katao to find out exactly what went on. Yes, exactly. There will be episodes on that, of course. How many people uh, do you reckon made it today? I think around 40. So we had 40 something, 41 I think for the airport tour and now it's I think two from the afternoon aren't here, two more showed up. So it's around 40, 45, including us I guess 45. 
That's a really nice uh, show, and we've got some people from all over. So uh, congratulations, thank you very much for inviting the APG here. Well, I mean, I didn't technically invite you, right? It was a joint, no, seriously, it was a joint meetup. So it's not like I invited, it was, I guess, my initiative, but it was a joint meetup between APG, Come Fly With Us, and Omega Tau, because there's a lot of overlap between listeners anyway. There is, but it's been great fun. Thank you very much. Thank you for flying over and showing up. Oh, no problem at all. I'll come anywhere for free beer, except I appear to be paying for this, but there you go. <laughs> great stories about the F-18 as well. Well, you're very kind. Thanks very much indeed. Tillman, a great friend of the APG, how are you? Why do you have to wait till I've had two drinks to push that in my face? Hi, Nick, how are you? <laughs> well, because you normally are very boring until you've had a few drinks in you. Funny thing is, I think the same thing. <laughs> yeah, you're quite right. I only really come to life after a few beers. Uh, hey, great to see you. Thanks very much for coming down. Well, thank you for coming here. Uh, it's really amazing to see you in Frankfurt. So that's not your home and not my home. So we meet on neutral territory. So just Exactly right. But you flew yourself here. I did with a little piper. Um, it's a small hop over here, two and a half hours. I had great weather and the catering on board was really good. Uh, exactly right. Anyway, it's great to see you again. Thanks very much for pitching up. Thanks for being here. Oh, by the way, I just don't need to mention your T-shirt. Ha, huh, my T-shirt, yeah. It's my Farnborough T-shirt from, what, two years ago? I think a little longer than that. Oh, maybe a little longer. I don't want to count the years, but it's the first time I get to wear it again. Well, it's brilliant to see it. Thanks very much. Uh, and here is one of the amazing uh, members of uh, the Come Fly With Us podcast. Ollie, uh, you're a cargo pilot. Uh, what are you talking about since I don't, can't understand a word you say on your podcast? <laughs> well, uh, I think you have to go for some German lessons, sir. Huh? I think I probably do. My Luftkissenfahrzeug ist voll mit allen. I heard this already this morning. So, uh, yeah, what about it's our podcast about? It's, uh, well, you may guess it, it's about aviation, but uh, me and Stefan are talking about different topics uh, of the, you know, aviation uh, daily life as a passenger pilot, like Stefan is, or like a cargo pilot, like I am. So, um, experiences uh, during work or aside work, during layover, and uh, all those funny stories. So, uh, you might experience them as well as a commercial pilot. So, uh, yeah. And unfortunately, I know it's on, in German only, but uh, maybe that's a reason to learn German, isn't it? Uh, it might be. And if you're keen and you have an ear for the German language, I would thoroughly recommend it. Although, as yet, I haven't been able to work out a word they're saying. So, uh, I guess that's something of a mute point. Anyway, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you, uh, and uh, I wish you well with your podcast. Thank you very much. It's a it's an honor and pleasure to meet you, and uh, thank you for your podcast as well. It's very very nice, and I really like it. So um, yeah, hope to hear lots of episodes of you soon. Yeah? Thank you. Likewise, and welcome to the Mutual Appreciation Society. Shilagansi Stefan, I'd like to just uh, have a little bit of a word with you uh, for the APG show. I drive my hovercraft with ganz viel Aalen. Uh, there you go. And what does that mean? Uh, that means it was a lovely evening. Lots. Of, I'm very happy to meet you. And the fish was great. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. Especially the eels in my hovercraft. Yes, the eels in your hovercraft. And I'm very uh, happy that I introduced you to the famous uh, local Frankfurt food. And they're going to love it. And they're going to enjoy it again. And th that the apple apple vine and the bembelcher, aus dem Bembel raus, was very good for you. I hope. 
It, the apple wine was a little sour. Yeah, for me too. I never taste it again, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. But the food was fabulous. That that uh, rolled beef thing was superb. Rinderroulade, schönes deutsches Wort. It's very famous word, Rinderroulade. I shall do my best to remember that, but it's already gone. I'm sorry, I can only keep things in my head for a certain length of time. Anyway, I, we, uh, we do love your show, uh, your podcast. If only we could work out what you were saying. Uh, shall we make a, not a non-German podcast then? I, I would recommend it. I think your listenership will grow enormously. I talk with, with Oli about that. Maybe he can switch languages. Okay. Anyway, it's brilliant meeting you. It's been a fabulous day, and uh, thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. You, you, you're the peak uh, climate of the show today, of the evening. Okay. Uh, that, my wife never says that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. Anyway, look, look listeners and Jeff, it's been absolutely brilliant. We had a marvelous day, uh, and uh, looking forward to a nice, quiet uh, day tomorrow, and flying back uh, from Frankfurt to London uh, tomorrow afternoon. So. Uh, with uh, no more ado, I won't waste your time. Back to Jeff in the studio. Well, thank you, Nick. And listening to that, it just makes me really, really sad that I wasn't able to make it. Oh, you'd have loved it. They're a great bunch of guys, very funny, uh, and some good beer once we got away from the apple vine uh, <laughs> and uh, started drinking vice beer. That was uh, mm. very pleasant indeed. They lovely local brew. Enjoyed that very much. And the food uh, really was fabulous. Uh, so you just be careful what you pick, that's all. And I, I took some assistance from my German friends there too. <laughs> There's not, the not in English then, yes. There, there are some pit, well, pitfalls, I guess. Uh, yeah, there could be. Yeah, undoubtedly, <laughs> there were some uh, pickled. No, in fact, I don't think it was even pickled herring. Pitfalls. Oh, I like pickled herring. Oh, you do. Well, you could have yeah. had one of the Frankfurt oh, delicacies. Then. I love pickled, pickled herring. herring. Yeah, that's right, a Danish well, thing too. I think. Yeah, it is, mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes it's rotten pickled herrings. But, well, I don't uh, like the mm-hmm. rotten pickin', pickled herring. <laughs> rotten pickled herring. That reminds me of the rancid shark that we had in Iceland. Ah, uh, yeah, that's another one. You on need purpose. To avoid. On yeah. purpose. Mm-hmm. Oh, Anything dear. that has Ouch. rancid in the title yeah, I is know. not a good mm. idea. I mean, just the first bite was good. <laughs> okay. Right. right okay. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but it really was a lovely meetup. And uh, thanks very much to Marcus for uh, organizing that. And it was great to meet the uh, uh, the guys from uh, Come Fly with us, Marcus and Ollie. They were two real characters. And uh, yeah, guys, please. Think about doing, putting out uh, an English version because you're funny, fe- funny folk, uh, and your English is great. So don't be worried about that. Uh, and the only other thing I've done is pop over. I mentioned I was going to Coventry to the Royal Aeronautical Society. I gave a lecture there, uh, so um, it was uh, it was very nice to meet all the uh, the folk, uh, ladies and gentlemen of the Royal Aeronautical Society. There, talk to them about uh, the. F3 Tornado and the F18 Hornet, and uh, which one was better. Uh, and uh, they took that with good grace, considering the uh, Tornado's sort of like a European thing and the F18's an American thing, and I definitely had a favorite. Um, you'd have to listen to the lecture to find out which, but I think you can probably guess. Uh, but they, uh, Ron, the uh, chairman, was uh, an absolutely lovely bloke, and uh, it was very nice to meet everybody. Uh, so, And I handed out a few cards, so if you uh, are from up there and you're listening to the show for the first time, welcome. 
and uh, thanks very much indeed. And I, I was given the indication that they might like to have me back for another lecture. So uh, if I get that opportunity, I'll look forward to seeing you all again. And that's been my week. Wow. You have been a busy man. And I still say that I think that you have never been this busy until you've retired from your job. It's very true. And I knocked out a plain tail. Yeah. <laughs> How do you do it? Sir? He knocked out a plain tail and he knocked out two crew logs um, after true. returning from the uh, the Frankfurt meetup. So if you're one of our uh, coffee fund cadre members, coffee bar club, whatever the heck we're calling it now, the people that give us money, then <laughs> you are. Lounge. Yeah, espresso lounge. Oh, I like that. Uh, you are treated to uh, two crew logs from Captain Nick. So, well, you know, speaking of that, do you think we uh, could roll right into the, uh, to the coffee fund? Why not? Yeah, Why exactly. not? I say. Johnny, how much more coffee? Sure thing. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. This is the part of the show where I can uh, talk about Steph and Nick and whoever else is on the show because they've left. While I'm I, still here. Oh, sorry did see you. <laughs> anyway, the coffee fund is your way to support the show financially. And a couple different ways to do it. The first is the classic fund via PayPal. You can make a one-time contribution or a recurring contribution. And uh, since the last show, a lot of activity there. Uh, recurring payments from Jason Kuntz, uh, Vigner Orngwanison. I know I'm butchering that name sorry uh, let's see david lieb and chris randall and we got one-time payments from ben rouse uh, mazus karim and randy ward and chandler zillman and uh, a couple of those guys are new to the coffee fund so welcome aboard and the other way to participate is via patreon at uh, airline or patreon.com slash airline pilot guy and since the last show, we have two new producers, Stephen Light and Jeff Gebhardt. If you want to join this group of great people, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. Captain, incoming message. We're going to start off with number 13, if you don't mind, uh, co-hosts. Oh, I have only loaded up to 11. So. Okay, I'm sorry. We're going to do 13, okay. 13 14, and then one. And it will be in normal sure. order from Makes there. Makes sense. Good. Yeah, of course it does. And uh, and the reason for that is I wanted to make sure we uh, we, we talked about this a little bit. And I have a feeling we'll, we'll uh, get a lot of mileage from it. Uh, we received some feedback from Glenn in Wellington, New Zealand. Hello, Captain Jeff. Captain, the former Captain Nick, Doctor Steph, and Captain Dana. It's Glenn here from New Zealand with some long overdue feedback. Um, yeah, it was so awesome to see everyone at Oshkosh this year. So many APG syndrome sufferers, and uh, and big thank you to everyone who turned up to my birthday um, meetup at the Blue Brown Arch. 
It was blue on one side and brown on the other, for those who didn't know. Um, yeah, absolutely awesome. I mean, so many people. It was just great. The biggest meetup ever, I think, they've ever had there at the Brown the brown Arch. I think it seems to get bigger. We get a bigger number of people every year. So anyway, that, uh, my other feedback, I sent you a tweet about the excellent article in the New York Times about what brought down the 737 uh, Max. Um, yeah, this is the old um, Swiss cheese model that whole lot of things all lined up together. Uh, it's a common thing that no one, no accident is caused by a single, a single issue or single error made by the crew, or single error made by the manufacturer, or etc. So you can go on and on. Um, interesting. I mean, yeah, the, the, the state of the state of training by certain airline pilots that it's all they just don't it's all checklists and I can't think for myself I've got to follow the checklist and if the checklist tells me this I do this and if it doesn't work I don't know what else to do so it's a real interesting very interesting article well worth a read hopefully you guys will put it up in the, in the, on, on the site uh, anyway um and also, as re- uh, I'm a, I do admin for a group called Have Geeks No Jerks, and uh, some guy there we think actually works for Boeing. We don't admit to it, but he just said, "Oh, uh, what was it?" His comment. That's right. An interesting read. No fingers can be pointed from this, but lots of more questions have surfaced. Seen reports out. Reports out that may surface may send a message the manufacturer may not be solely at fault. P.S. If they blocked the black row of seats, it might have made a difference to the nerves up condition. Right. Yeah. I won't mention his name, but I think that he's, just, he's uh, trying to think he's trying to uh, make excuses for the manufacturer. So I say it was a man of that it was the airline's fault. Completely the airline's fault. Nothing to do with the manufacturer. Nothing to do with the fact that the Boeing Max was rushed into production and and it was all certified by the, by Boeing themselves rather than the FAA. But anyway, just thought I'd mention that. Um, it's gone on a bit long, but uh, uh, tailwinds and unlimited IPAs to you all, uh, Glenn out. I like that unlimited IPAs. Maybe I need to change yes, please. that. Yes. Yeah, we we need some of that. All right. Um, always good to hear from you, Glenn. And uh, the Feelings Mutual is great seeing you along with so many others in our community there at Oshkosh, Oshblast 2019 this year. And uh, I'm glad that you, unfortunately, I, I wasn't able to make your birthday. I think that was the day that we ended up um, doing our uh, special uh, show um, during the middle of the week. So I missed the uh, I think I got there. Arch. Well, you did, but I had a lot of stuff. Yeah, we were. We <laughs> yeah. I just you left just you. Yeah. in when it was all done. That's right. So yeah. that's what I do. We're uh, we're not. Gonna I mean, talk, we're not going to talk about that stuff. The talent can't be present for you know all the behind the scenes. The stuff. talent, it's yes, quite not right. important. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anywho, he is talking about the or he he um, mentioned the article that was in the New York Times magazine. Written by a gentleman named William Languish, Languish, and uh, you may—that's uh, not a common name, the Languish, Languish, 
Uh, his father was Wolfgang, and he wrote um, uh, an excellent book entitled Stick and Rudder. It was interesting. One of the groups I was in uh, looking at, uh, I think it was Flight Aware, uh, the Squawks, and somebody was saying, hey, you know, William is the uh, English equivalent of Wolfgang, and um, you know, it's, it's like similar to the guy that wrote the book Stick and Rudder. And I wrote back and said, yeah, because it's his son or that was his dad or whatever. It was like, uh, duh. <laughs> anyway, um, so I let's see here. Uh, I'll include I'm we're definitely not going to read this article on the show because it would it take lengthy. two hours. Very lengthy, very thorough. Uh, but uh, William um, Langoisha. Uh, kind of basically covers in, in quite a bit of detail a lot of what happened and a lot of the many, many different facets of, and, and like so many accidents, it's not just one thing that happens or goes wrong. It's just a series of things. And we talk about the Swiss cheese model and, uh, or, or you can use the, the chain and a broken link or several broken links along the way that add up to a failure of the chain. And this is definitely one of those situations. And we have aspects from the uh, the FAA certification and then relegating or delegating uh, self-certification to Boeing. We have, um, you know, interesting uh, aerodynamics from stretching an airplane that wasn't really intended to be stretched that far. And so we're going to come up with a system and we're not going to tell anybody about it. And nobody's ever going to know about it anyway, because it's, you know, very rare instances when this is going to, um, you know, come into play. Problem is, you know, the, the faulty logic of a system that uh, only relies upon one AOA uh, vein, and then what are the chances of an AOA vein, you know, failing? And honestly, I haven't really heard much about AOA failures until very re- recently. Uh, but uh, so not sure what's going on there. But anyway, so so many different things, including um, the training of pilots uh, in this situation that we're in in today's world where um, there's a huge pilot shortage and uh, different countries, different states around the world are, are dealing with it in, in various ways. Uh, the uh, experience level of our pilots is going down, et cetera. And, you know, the, the idea that uh, manufacturers need to need to design the uh, systems and the airplanes with that in mind. And I think that uh, I don't think anybody would disagree with me that that uh, Airbus has done the best job in that they from the from the get go, they've designed airplanes to the and it's not meant it sounds like a a negative or a put down, but it's not it they've designed airplanes to the lowest common denominator. And unfortunately, I think that sometimes we're even the we're getting pilots with skill levels and experience levels that are even below the that lowest common denominator. And uh, that's a big problem. And uh, the EASA and uh, the FAA, NTSB, and, and regulators throughout the world are dealing, trying to grasp with this, uh, this, this problem, this issue. So anyway, this, this um, article deals with a lot of those different things. Uh, some people um, kind of were thinking that, um, uh, that he kind of threw the, the pilots of these two accident airplanes, the uh, Lion Air, 737 MAX incident and the Ethiopian Air uh, 73 MAX incident uh, through those pilots uh, under the bus. And 
by pointing out certain things. Uh, again, going back to, well, f- before I, I talk about this um, or talk about the Blanco Lirio YouTube channel and his excellent discussion about this, uh, I want to talk about the, the AD that was put out um, recently uh, regarding uh, the new procedure uh, when it comes to uh, the, the MCAS uh, implementation. And it basically, in the runaway stabilizer section, it talks about what to do, you know, ter- basically turn the darn system off by hitting the two trim stabilizer trim cutout switches. Uh, but here's something I, I kind of learned from all this, that an erroneous AOA input can cause some or all of the following con- indications and effects. Continuous or intermittent stick shaker on the affected side only, minimum speed bar, red and black, on the affected side only, increasing nose-down control forces, IAS disagree alert, ALT disagree alert, AOA disagree alert, if the option is installed, which we can talk about that as well. That should not be an option. Field differential pressure light, uh, the autopilot may disengage, and the inability to engage the autopilot. A lot of things going on, a lot of warnings that are screaming at you while the airplane is trimming on its own, nose down, trying to kill you. And so, you know, when you factor all those things in, uh, especially to a crew that, you know, experience level may not have been great, or maybe, you know, they, they were flying for a company that stresses auto flight almost exclusively, and so that they don't have a lot of um, experience with um Manual flight, although these two incidents both started with manual flight and never got to an auto flight situation. Um, So I'm not sure if that's a a factor or not. But if you don't mind and bear with me, I would like to play two excerpts from Juan Brown's latest video uh, regarding some some of the latest um, uh, things to come out of the 737 MAX uh, saga. Uh, including a recent, uh, pub- recently published safety bulletin from the National Transportation Safety Board uh, just the 19th of September, so it's pretty new. And uh, I'll play. start with the first one here. If you watch Williams' interview on CNBC, where he discusses his article, and on CNBC, of course, he's forced to take his very long article and force it into a couple of sound bites. William really throws the pilots under the bus unfairly, in my opinion. Blaming the pilots to realize that it's a simple runaway trim failure and failing to turn off the stabilizer trim cutout switch switches in a timely manner. Completely disregarding the complicated nature of the presentation of this particular emergency. We all know now that the pilots of the accident aircraft failed to fly the airplane, the first step in any aircraft emergency. Williams' analysis fails to recognize the complicated human factors that led to this breakdown in airmanship. One of the things that I want to thank William for bringing out in his article is something that all of us have been a little bit reluctant to talk about, though I've touched on it briefly. This entire watershed event across the entire industry is going to about to get all wrapped around the axle of political correctness. The acknowledgement that, yes, there are fundamentally two different standards of training around the world that need to be acknowledged, that we have younger, less experienced pilots around the world getting in the cockpit of these new modern aircraft, and we've got to design these aircraft for folks with very little flying time. 
very little experience, very little airmanship. Following the 2009 Colgan Air accident, Congress mandated that the FAA increase pilot requirements in the United States to a minimum, both pilots having 1,500 hours of flying time and an air transport pilot rating. Over in Europe and throughout much of the rest of the world, a multi-crew pilot license program can put a new hire off the streets with no prior aviation experience into the right seat of an airliner with as little as 240 hours, 210 of which can be done in the simulator. So now both NTSB, the FAA, and Boeing aircraft are slowly coming to realize that there is a tremendous difference in training of pilots around the world and of experience levels around the world, and they need to design their products to adapt. And this is part of the outcome of this latest um, safety recommendation report from the NTSB. I'll get the date for you in a moment, but here's a part of the summary of this report. We, the NTSB, are concerned that the accident pilot responses to the unintended MCAS operation were not consistent with the underlying assumptions about pilot recognition and response that Boeing used based on FAA guidance for flight control system functional hazard assessments, including for MCAS as part of the 737 design. Yeah, now part two of that. Thus, the NTSB concludes that aircraft systems that can more clearly and concisely inform pilots of the highest priority actions when multiple flight deck alerts and indications are present would minimize confusion and help pilots respond most effectively. When you got a runaway trim situation accompanied by a bunch of erroneous airspeed or other flight instrument indications, you do simply do not have time to bury your head in a checklist and try to sort things out. And the, these pilots simply don't have the airmanship to recognize the situation and go outside of the checklist and quickly turn off the stabilizer trim cutout switches. They gotta design the system easier. Therefore, the NTSB recommends that the FAA develop design standards with the input of industry and human factors experts for aircraft system diagnostic tools that improve the prioritization and clarity of failure indications, direct and indirect, presented to pilots to improve the timeliness and effectiveness of their response. The point, William Languisha, is that these pilots should have never been exposed to this sort of poorly designed system malfunction in the first place. It is simply too overwhelmingly confusing for the average pilot to sort out in a safe fashion, in a timely enough fashion to recover the aircraft. Okay, again, those are just two little excerpts from uh, his very well done um well, they're all well done, the YouTube video, and uh, a link to that will be in the show notes. Uh, now, he, he mentions the word airmanship, and I'll just read what uh, William Langoisha writes in his very long article. And he says, airmanship is an anachronistic word, but it is applied without prejudice to women as well as men. Its full meaning is difficult to convey. It includes a visceral sense of navigation, an operational understanding of weather and weather information, the ability to form mental maps of traffic flows, fluency in the nuance of radio communications, and especially a deep appreciation for the interplay between energy, inertia, and wings. Airplanes are living things. The best pilots do not sit in cockpits as much as strap them on. 
The United States Navy manages to instill a sense of this in its fledgling fighter pilots uh, by ramming them through rigorous classroom instruction and then requiring them to fly at bank angles without limits, including upside down. Not sure why he just chose, picked Navy pilots there, but uh, maybe he was a, I'm not sure what his background is. Maybe he was a Navy pilot. But uh, again, um, some interesting things coming out of this, and um, it, it's it's so easy to tr- say that it was because of this poorly designed system and uh, the implementation of it, the certification of it, and that's a huge part of it for sure. But it's more than that. It's also the way uh, that pilots reacted to what was happening, and you know, it, it's it it's kind of hard to really blame them because they probably weren't equipped uh, with whatever it took to get them through this situation and, uh, you know, analyze it properly. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, I wish I could say I was better prepared for this because it is a very long article and Mm -hmm. I haven't had a chance to look through it all. Um, However, I did try and speed read it. And I was slightly dismayed by his immediate grab of these two particular pilots, their airlines, their past history, and kind of come to a conclusion that said, well, these guys fly for airlines that don't have a great safety record. They're not particularly experienced. We all know that uh, uh, they're training uh, system and requirements is uh, not perhaps uh, the best in the world. And that was the kind of side of his argument I didn't particularly like. Um, He made an assumption that there is better training to be had in other countries, and I think that might be true. But it doesn't mean to say that if you get enough hours under your belt, Uh, you're um, not going to be a good pilot. Also, he's saying that pilots are being allowed into the cockpit uh, with too few hours. Well, um, there is a 1,500-hour limit in the United States, but um, you can fly those hours doing some pretty boring flying and never experience anything close to an incident like this. So I'm not quite sure about the validity of just hours, uh, banking hours, uh, flying, whatever it is you're going to do. It doesn't necessarily improve your skill as a pilot. I think there should be a really good structured way to uh, train someone and give them enough hours that gives them the skills to handle situations like this. And if you're not going to give the pilots that, then you do need to put them in an airplane that isn't going to present this kind of situation that is uh, potentially deadly and hard to analyze. Uh, And I think there's there's a meeting of minds needs to come here. You, You can't just train a pilot to be a robot and only react to the failures that the simulator can produce. On the other hand, the only way you're going to get the sort of level of skill that um, this gentleman is suggesting to be able to react and analyze is to do a great deal of flying that actually is not airline style flying. You know, I, I I flew in the Air Force for 19 years and only flew 4,700 hours 
but I can absolutely guarantee that that 4,700 hours gave me the skill to handle anything that the the next 20,000 hours I flew where very little happened, uh, I could have still handled a a situation of jet upset or whatever because of that initial uh, experience, exposure I had to the type of flight I got in the military. And and I, I really don't know how to create that level of skill uh, and give it to a pilot and then say, right, okay, you're now good enough to go off and fly and do nothing. But once in your career, you're going to expect to be able to reach into that pool of knowledge, uh, pull it out and solve this situation, for example, as Sully did when he was faced with his problem. Um, And I don't think there are many pilots around who will be able to do that in the future because the pool of military pilots, uh, certainly uh, in countries uh, outside the States, perhaps is shrinking. Air forces are getting smaller. The number of hours the military pilots are flying are less. And there is no civilian equivalent. Uh, really. And unless we invent one, I think we're going to be faced with this situation more and more. Yeah, yep. I think you nailed everything that uh, is important to talk about there. Uh, you know, I think the biggest th- takeaway for me is that you can't replicate all of these potential failures all the time in the simulator every time you go in to train. Um, you know, it's not practical to be training all the time, otherwise you wouldn't be doing your job. Um, but those hours count for experience as well, but you have to run into unusual situations to be able to learn from those things and apply them in the future as well. So it, it you know, I, I think there's good points all around. Should uh, aircraft be designed such that they're basically not prone to any of these types of issues or failures, or if they do happen, that it's very easy to get yourself out of it, perhaps. Um, but I still think there's always going to be something out there that you might be presented with that you've never seen before. Um, and that's where, you know, you go back to that airmanship and training and being able to think outside of the box and, and think quickly on your feet. I agree. I think that the, the, the number of hours or experience that you have definitely is just, dang it, I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> Is just a. Just I guess I'm so used hand. to just with my left <laughs> arm just flying up. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm. Well, anyway, I think that the the number of hours that you have is just a, a one of the pieces of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. I think it's all part of what makes for a good pilot. And we agree that you know somebody that has X amount of hours is not necessarily better than the one that has fewer hours. You know, the, because there are so many well, things that come together to make. Uh, somebody who has good airmanship, the type of experience they have, the uh, so many uh, so many factors involved, and I think the point of maybe I don't know um, maybe the point of uh, William um, bringing it up in his article is to maybe contrast and compare the the two, uh, and then there are probably many other um, ways to break this down, but at least two major um, philosophies when it comes to pilot training. I'm I'm just going to throw that out there because I didn't have a chance to read the entire article either. But uh, you know, um, I think that it's just it's just something that um, is part of the the big picture, the big puzzle. Uh, suffice to say, I don't agree with everything that uh, um, this gentleman uh, William Langish uh, Langish Yeah, okay. Is I it think. a W or a Visha? Or, uh, anyway, well, yeah, probably I, I, I don't agree with 
and what's more, he is a very well published writer. Mm-hmm. I don't like some of the things, some of the conclusions he's coming come to in this article. Right. On the other hand, I don't think that Boeing uh, is necessary entirely to blame because I think other pilots, uh, if they were lucky, had more room, had a little bit more altitude, whatever, might have got around the problem. There's, to me, in my mind, there's still one significant. Um, oh, let me just be blunt. The grandfather rights that allow uh, Boeing to bring an aircraft that was basically designed in the fifties and still have what I would consider to be major uh, flaws to it um, be upgraded to the point where it is now, without having to uh, adhere to much more modern requirements for registration for um, that sort of thing. Uh, And one of the things I'm going to say is that I understand, I'm not a Boeing 737 pilot, but I understand if the trim runs away sufficient and your airspeed is high enough and you pulling hard on the controls, trying to stop the nose from going down, you physically can't move the trim wheel because of the forces Mm -hmm. on the stabilizer. Now, I can't believe that we're still producing brand new aircraft out of a factory with that restriction. I, I find it very hard to understand how Boeing could still justify having a uh, a backup trim wheel that can't physically move the stabilizer in throughout the flight regime of the aircraft. And I'm going, surely by now they must have worked a better way to move that as a backup system to move that stabilizer and I, I find it unbelievable that they still have allowed their aircraft to be produced but it was not problem. within the flight um, regime uh, the ethiopian one the airspeed was way above uh, the normal flight envelope because those pilots never pulled the power back from the moment they applied takeoff thrust for takeoff to the time they hit the ground that. Okay, uh, I'm only going by what other 737 pilots have told me, mm-hmm. is that it's a known problem that if you uh, allow the trim to go too far and you pull full hard back stick, because you're pulling hard and trying to get the, the stabilizer to move, you put such a high aerodynamic load on the stabilizer that now you can't retrim. You've got to relax that load right. and trim. Now, if you're close to the ground on the airplane's trying to pitch nose down, the last thing in your mind is how am I going to relax the elevators now so so that I can trim the nose up? Because if I don't move that wheel damn fast, I'm going to hit the ground. But Uh, you you don't let the airplane get into that position. You've basically painted yourself into a box that you can't get out of. But let's assume you have got in that situation. I mean, for me, I mean, I just like an airplane that you can't trim nose up in that situation has built a bad airplane. Well, I think we disagree on that. So, but for me, if, if the, and I've mentioned it so many times in the show since this, these incidents occurred, if the airplane is doing something that it's not supposed to be doing, I'm not telling it to do it. I immediately stop it from doing that. And the way I do it is hit the trim cutout switches. Boom. That's the way you solve the problem. You never let it get so far to the point where you can't get out of it. You can't, you can't design an airplane for every single situation that's, that could possibly occur and still no, be able I'm, to get I'm, out of it. I'm not suggesting you do. What I am suggesting is that if you have a backup trim system, it needs to be one that will allow you to trim the airplane uh, throughout the flight envelope. But it was not within the flight envelope. I, yeah, I agree with your yeah, statement. 
other 737 pilots have told me that even if it is in the flight envelope, if you get a strong enough nose down pitch on that stabler and you're giving it full backstick on the elevators, you can't move the trim wheel. Well, you use your airmanship to get into a situation where you can move it. Uh, yeah, okay. But so I, I, I'm the airplane should have a trim system that's <laughs> capable of trimming throughout the flight envelope, even the backup one. And to say that your airmanship to start begin that, I'm saying no. You build an airplane that's easier to fly. You build an airplane that you can trim using main and backup trim systems throughout its flight envelope. Yep, uh, I agree with. I, um, can I jump in? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I agree with what Micah has just said. We really need uh, for this discussion to really be complete. We need folks who have had experience flying the Max and have gone through some of that training. So, yeah, I, I don't know if, uh, and I know we've had feedback from Colonel Jeff and others just trying to explain some of these uh, uh, issues um, along with it. Certainly, I'm not qualified to talk in any detailed way about uh, the issues with the plane, the issues with the training. Um, you know, I haven't been there. I haven't been through any of that. Um, but it sounds to me like there's potential problems on both sides when you look at it. And, you know, like we talked about with Swiss cheese or broken chain, all those things come together in the right situation at the right time or wrong situation, wrong time, wrong scenario to, to create these horrible accidents and incidents. And um, I, I agree with Dick a little bit. There should be a way to, engineer around that um you know i think we're uh we've been doing this for long enough we're intelligent enough we're good at enough at designing aircraft that um, perhaps there should be a way to mitigate these types of incidents as much as possible but i'll have to do some research you, can't, you can't just allow the uh, I'm, I'm totally on the side of it comes back to basic flying skills too and you have to know your aircraft you have to know its systems you have to know how to get yourself out of those situations so it goes both ways and i'm not aware of any and there may be but i am not aware of any incidents on the 737 or the 727 or any of the boeing uh, models that have that kind of trim system manual trim system i'm not aware and uh, as i said there may be some instances of it where a runaway trim situ situation caused a crash because we, you know, understood it as a runaway trim, disconnected it, and didn't let it get so far that we can't get out of it. Uh, but again, I, I, I probably shouldn't say anything about it because I don't really know. I have not researched this, but it was. It doesn't seem to me that it was a, ever an issue until Boeing designed this system, this MCAS, that kind of did things autonomously on its own and it was a poor design i mean i'm not defending boeing but to throw uh the the airplane completely into the toilet uh for this is i think overreaching and maybe i misunderstood that but i thought we were primarily talking about the addition of the mcas system there with the, the max still i don't think so i think he's talking about the manual trim system in general okay. right nick well, I, I'm trying to understand why uh, the manual trim system um, gets so hard to use uh, in this situation. Now, you, I, I know that you this aircraft accelerated out of its environment, but I understood from reading something that uh, Cap uh, Colonel Jeff put up was that even in its normal, you know, certified limits. If you get enough uh, elevator force, uh, you, that trim just jams. You, it, it just becomes too hard to move because of the friction on the... It's the air loads on the, on the, the stabilizer. Yeah. yeah. 
And, um, and so, what happened over the evolution of the uh, 737 didn't help either because a, a very capable system uh, tr manually trimming through all flight regimes um, where it was compromised when that wheel, that trim, because the, that trim wheel, that manual trim wheel in the 727 was a larger diameter than the 737 version of it. And then as the airplane became more advanced and including the 800, 900, and now the max, the diameter of that mechanical backup wheel was even further reduced. And anybody that knows anything about physics understands that that moment arm decreasing decreases the amount of power uh, the amount of work or amount of uh, what's the word um whatever that you can exert upon it leverage. and that's stable huh leverage force leverage yeah and force thank you those are both good words um so that didn't help the situation either so you know maybe they didn't think this thing through you know it, when they when they kept um, making a new uh, evolution of, of the thing. And maybe they thought because we never really had any issues with runaway trim in the past, then, you know, it's not a, not a big deal. One of those things that falls in that category of it's never going to happen, just like the AOA never going to fail kind of category, which of course they were wrong about. So, yeah, I mean, we could talk all night about this, but, and, and we know we both have, or we all have strong opinions about this. We're learning from it. And the general idea of what, I think William was trying to state in his article was the fact that we're dealing with a newer generation, a newer uh, situation with um, the pilots that are flying these modern airliners now and companies as Airbus has uh, need to start designing these things so that, you know, you, you don't get, you're, you're not bombarding a pilot with so many warnings and, and that you don't know where to start and, uh, and you can't handle the situation uh, you know, without, uh, well, you, you have to handle the situation without having to refer to a checklist. And that's, that's a confusing thing and, and a kind of a foreign thing for, for a lot of people out there. Um, as I said, I think we, we just have different perspectives on things. Maybe it has something to do with my, my anecdotal experiences with flying airplanes and the training that I ha I've had. And the fact that I have flown many hours on the 727 thousands of hours and uh and the trim system is very similar so i never ever felt that that was uh something that was a badly designed system it always worked every time we went through a, a, a runaway trim situation in the simulator at lower speeds or high speeds it, it was always something that we could work through so again maybe maybe i'm uh, biased when it comes to it but i'm certainly not defending any company that uh, it has done things wrong. And it certainly looks like the Boeing can definitely take a big chunk of the blame on this. Yeah. It's an interesting discussion and uh, we get to get to the end of it. I'm right. Afraid to say. Okay. Well, um, item 14, Micah sent in something that is very, it's related to this whole thing. It also uh, is, ref is uh, in relation to the um, 737 max crashes. This is from the Seattle times. Uh, the uh, American aviation regulators are urging their counterparts around the world to do more to ensure that pilots are trained in manual emergency procedures that could have prevented two deadly crashes of the Boeing 737 MAX uh, airliners. And uh, anyway, I'll put, um, not to belabor the point, because we've I think we've kind of exhausted uh, the uh, discussion on this, but um, I'll put a link to that article in the show notes. 
Um, thank you, Micah, for sending it in. And as you know, it's, these are all parts of the puzzle here. I think I hope that uh, I'm, I'm confident that uh, all these regulators and manufacturers uh, around the world will come up with a with a, a reasonable solution to to prevent something like this from happening again in the future. And of course, you know, I, I like the fact that he sent in this article because it's something that I've been preaching ever since I started this show: manual flying skills. You gotta. You got it. The only way to get them and maintain them is to practice them. And, uh, and I think that nobody here on the panel or most of the people listening to the show would, would disagree with that. No, absolutely. And I, I've said it before, but, uh, my father, um, back in the seventies was already complaining that autopilots were limiting pilots, uh, handling skills. It's a problem we've had around for decades. So it's not a new one. No. Yeah, it seems like it's just a cycle, isn't it? We go through. I mean, I still remember, you know, the uh, Children of the Magenta lecture that was given by the American Airlines. And what year was that? That was 1990-something, I think, early 90s. Yep. And yeah. uh, and here we are, you know, we're, we're doing the same stupid things here today. You know, it's like, I don't know. So you're suggesting people just aren't good at learning. Yeah, or remembering yeah, the past. Remembering. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, mm. I agree, Steph. Um, Wilson Gill, item one, uh, sent in something via Facebook, and he says, Hey guys, bushfires happening here in Australia and want to share a 737 larger air tanker that dumped a payload. Uh, there must be a typo in there. 737, maybe large air tanker that dumped a payload in the path of the fire today. And it's... Uh, a link to the Boeing 737 air tanker assists with uh, Perigian, Perigian. He's sure. pretty low, isn't he? That's an impressive picture down on the bottom there. It is. Uh, and there's a, also a, a, a link in, in the show notes uh, to a video of uh, watching this 737 get <laughs> literally in the trees. Or maybe it's just the camera perspective or something going on. It with could that. be. But I, I've seen the uh, 747-8 uh, tanker do the same thing. And uh, boy, that's a lot of liquid they're dropping. And that looks very impressive, an aircraft that big uh, mm -hmm. flying so low. I agree. You know, that's something, Nick, have you ever thought of uh, doing that kind of flying? Well, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, uh, if you fly a fighter that low, you can uh, pull the stick back into your guts and head out and uh, you'll be in clear air pretty quick. When you're flying what is still effectively an airliner, the two and a half G limit, um, that is, uh, you've got to be real careful. And that, that for me, is risky flying yeah. when you're that low in an airliner. But it does you look know, like it'd be uh, fun. <laughs> yeah. Old pilots be. and bold uh, pilots. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, those fires in Australia look terrible. And um, yeah, just a. Uh, Thoughts to everyone affected by those, if anyone's listening out there in Australia. Yeah, I don't know. Are they still burning over there? This I don't know when this uh, was sent in. This was, was a little, this was maybe a well, month or so ago, I think. Yeah. It was pretty recent. There were okay. quite a few fires. It was like kind of an early start to their fire season. Yeah, anyway. boy. That's not good. Yeah. Now, I think they've had the uh, the winter by now, so hopefully all that's out. It's usually the end mm -hmm. of the summer that, that they get those problems. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, well, great. now it's time for the best part of the show. And we really mean that. Um, and that's not only Steph and my and Liz and everybody else's opinion here on the crew, but uh, uh, the community at large, we get so many great positive 
uh, compliments regarding the old pilot and his plane tales. The old pilot's plane tales. Après moi, le déluge. This is London. The Air Ministry have just issued the following communicate. In the early hours of this morning, a force of Lancasters of Bomber Command, led by Wing Commander G.P. Gibson, DSO, DFC, attacked with mines the dams of the Myrna and Sauber reservoirs. These control two-thirds of the water storage... It was only a few days ago that we passed the anniversary of the death of Wing Commander Guy Penrose Gibson, VC, DSO and Bar, DFC and Bar. He rightly earned his place in history as the leader of the famous Dambusters raid on the Ruhr Dams during the Second World War. But before I tackle that raid and Barnes Wallace's part in that amazing story in what will be a trilogy of tales, I want to talk about the man who led 617 Squadron that night. Our story starts in Simla, India when on the 12th of August 1918 Guy was born, son to Lenora and Alexander Gibson. Guy's father was working in the Imperial Indian Forestry Service, but sadly when Guy was six his parents separated and he went with his mother to England to start his schooling. Part of his education was at St Edward's School, Oxford, the same school as Douglas Bader, who would later serve with great distinction as a fighter pilot who overcame the earlier disability of losing both of his legs in a flying accident. Gibson's childhood didn't go without problems, as his mother struggled with alcoholism, marked with erratic and sometimes violent behaviour towards her children. Guy ended up staying in the school's lodgings and was looked after by his aunt. He was only an average student, but he had a strong desire to follow in the footsteps of his childhood hero, Albert Ball, V.C. Ball was a First World War fighter pilot who, before he was killed, led the flying aces with 44 downed enemy aircraft. Guy followed his dream by writing to Vickers about becoming a test pilot with them. The wonderful Mutt Summers, Vickers' chief test pilot, who got his nickname from his habit of peeing on the tail wheel of his aircraft for good luck before setting off on a test flight. By coincidence, Mutt Summers would feature in Guy Gibson's short life. Not only would he test fly the Spitfire and Hurricane, but he would fly the test aircraft for the experimental bouncing bombs for his close friend Barnes Wallace. Summers wrote back to Guy Gibson, advising him first to join the RAF. The young man duly applied, but was rejected by the medical board as his legs were considered too short. I'm not sure how he encouraged his legs to grow, but his next application was successful. He started his RAF career in 1936 and was awarded his wings at RAF Netherhaven the next year. He went on to advanced training, opting for bombers, and completed that course with an average assessment. However, it was noted that he had something of a character flaw, owing to his rude and condescending behaviour towards some junior ranks and ground crews in particular. 
This wasn't the only time such an attitude would be remarked upon, but he really didn't have long to mature before he was thrown into a war where such behaviour would be more easily forgiven. Training over, Guy Gibson was initially posted to RAF Turnhouse, near Edinburgh, to fly Hawker Hind biplanes. The following year, the squadron was moved to RAF Lucas, my old base, and they converted to the Handley Page Hamden, a twin-engined medium bomber that would be retired in 1942 when more capable aircraft became available. Again, Gibson wouldn't cover himself in glory when he was found negligent by a court of inquiry after a taxiing accident. When war finally broke out in 1939, Guy was called back from leave to RAF Scampton in Lincolnshire to take part in an attack on the German fleet. The mission was aborted due to bad weather, and the long winter of the phony war continued, but then Guy was sent on a mission with Coastal Command to attack a German U-boat. Unfortunately, one aircraft dropped its bombs on a British Navy submarine instead, which resulted in letters of censure to fly in all directions. 1940 saw real action, and was one of the most intense operational period of Gibson's career. He completed 34 operations in five months, and was earning himself a reputation for fearlessness, particularly when flying in marginal weather. His missions varied from dropping mines in enemy harbours to attacking capital ships, as well as attacks on ground-based targets. In 1940, he was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross for showing courage and devotion to duty. After some leave and a short period working at an operational conversion unit, training other pilots, he was hand-picked to transfer to night fighters. He was posted to become a flight commander on 29 Squadron at RAF Digby, flying Bristol Blenheims and then bow fighters. The squadron wasn't doing well and considered so ill-disciplined that it was nearly disbanded. What's more, Gibson attracted some hostility as a bomber pilot who was posted in to help fix the squadron. His score of kills slowly rose, and before long he was awarded a bar to his DFC. In an interview, he described an attack. He is now two miles ahead of you, still flying north. I don't think he knows you're behind. So you cock your guns, which means set them ready for firing, your four cannons and your six machine guns, and you snuggle up, you turn on your ring sight, put your straps on, see that your parachute is quite ready, that bailout shouldn't anything go wrong, and wait. And they say, he's a mile and a half ahead, you'll be seeing him any moment now. A throttle back to 235, and then suddenly they'll say, change course to due north, he's straight ahead of you now. Uh, mile ahead, half a mile, look out from now, he's about 300 feet above you. And you get closer and then suddenly you see a smudge on the windscreen. And when you look closer and you open your eyes more, it's a Hun. Hmm. Great Heinkel, fat Heinkel, slipping along the air at about 220, full of bomb loads for London. Oh. And uh, you get closer and closer, you get dropped lower and lower instantly to get yourself against the dark background down below. And when you're about 50 yards away from him, you lift your nose and just press the button. There's a blinding flash, an explosion, things hit your wings, and then there's a spout of flame which falls quickly towards the earth, and down goes one more German night raider.
By now he was acting squadron commander, but he was finding the relative safety and boredom of the missions niggling, and he wanted a change. It came with a promotion to wing commander when he was posted to take command of a bomber squadron at RAF Coningsby, flying the Avro Manchester, the twin-engine forerunner of the famed Lancaster. The squadron did well, and before long was converted to the beloved four-engine Lancaster bomber. As a commander, Gibson's main concern was to be seen to share the risk. He continued to show unremitting aggression with a selectivity towards harder targets rather than easier ones. What's more, he expected the same determination from everyone on the squadron and dealt severely with anyone he considered to be malingering. He trained his new crews well, but acquired a reputation for not accepting any interference in how he ran the squadron. He could be high-handed with the ground crews, and some of the air crew disliked him for his strict disciplinarian attitude. However, he was also acknowledged as a true leader. After a successful tour, during which he attacked many significant targets, he was awarded the Distinguished Service Order, and later a bar to the medal. His citation read, in part, This officer has completed many sorties, including a daylight raid on Danzig and an attack on Guinea. In the recent attack at Le Crosseau, Wing Commander Gibson bombed and machine-gunned the transformer station nearby from 500 feet. He's a most skillful and courageous leader whose keenness has set a most inspiring example. The BBC reporter Richard Dimbleby reported from Gibson's aircraft on a raid over Germany. Now we are coming in for the target. We're approaching Cleves. I've just heard the voice of the master bomber in my headphones ordering us to the extremely low height from which we're going to bomb. Not very welcome news perhaps for us and we're on our way down to that <coughs> we're on our way down to that height now our bombs are going the flak is bursting to thunder studying us we're going over the top now flares and fire i don't know how we can stand this it's absolutely this is absolute we're shaking with the flak crew shaking and and a feel of as they fire how steady and calm the crew and the skipper are keeping on their course now we are also being supposed our bombs are, and they are bursting there now. Flash, 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 crash. I'm sorry, I tried to be I tried to be contained and steady on this commentary, but it's more than I can do. It's a staggering sight that we can see in the sky. With a growing reputation, it was not surprising that when he was expecting to go on well-deserved leave, he received a call from his air officer commanding, asking him to form a special squadron to fly, and I quote, one last trip. He was given a free hand to select his own crews from amongst other squadrons, but they had to be experienced and have completed, or nearly so, two tours of operations. So it was that on the 21st of March 1943, he stood on the floor of a hangar at RAF Scampton to meet the personnel who he had chosen to form Squadron X. The squadron formed under great secrecy for a specific attack that wasn't revealed to the crews. They trained at low flying for weeks, particularly over the water of some reservoirs such as the Aberton and the Derwent, 
and practice their navigational skills. After over a thousand flying hours, they were declared ready. In the meantime, their aircraft had been modified to carry a special weapon that would be used against the dams of the Mone, Ada, and Saw in the Rhine. The attack went ahead on the night of the 16th of May 1943, a story I will tell in detail in the near future. Needless to say, the newly formed 617 Squadron took its place in history that night as the Dambusters. Two days later, Gibson held a squadron parade and the unit's personnel were sent on a well-deserved leave. Gibson himself was on leave in Panathis' home in Cornwall when he received the news from Bomber Harris himself that he had been awarded the Victoria Cross. His response was subdued as he felt responsible for those he had recruited and who had not returned. He was reported as saying, It all seems so unfair. He attended an investiture at Buckingham Palace, and Her Majesty the Queen presented Gibson with the VC with a citation, part of which read, This officer served as a night bomber pilot at the beginning of the war and quickly established a reputation as an outstanding operational pilot. In addition to taking the fullest possible share in all normal operations, he made single-handed attacks during his rest nights on such highly defended objectives as the German battleship Tirpitz, then completing in Wilmshaven. When his tour of operational duty was concluded, he asked for a further operational posting and went to a night fighter unit instead of being posted for instructional duties. After a short period in a training unit, he again volunteered for operational duties and returned to night bombers. Both as an operational pilot and as leader of his squadron, he achieved outstandingly successful results, and his personal courage knew no bounds. Berlin, Cologne, Danzig, Guinea, Genoa, Le Croiseau, Milan, Nuremberg and Stuttgart were among the targets he attacked, by day and night. On the conclusion of his third operational tour, when Commander Gibson pressed strongly to be allowed to remain on operations, and he was selected to command a squadron, then forming for special tasks. Under his inspiring leadership, this squadron has now executed one of the most devastating attacks of the war, the breaching of the Mona and Ida dams. Throughout his operational career, prolonged exceptionally at his own request. He has shown leadership, determination and valour of the highest order. Gibson was stood down from operational duties and sent on a tour of Canada and the United States. This was at a time when the first American airmen were coming home. Tour expired after 25 operations. During questions at a function in Washington, D.C., one young lady asked, When Commander Gibson, how many operations have you been on over Germany? He replied, 174. His reply was followed by a stunned silence. 
In an interview, he mentioned the friendship he had encountered with the American forces. Another thing that I wanted to ask about that I'm very keen about, and that is the relationship between the fighting forces of Britain and America. What well, have you got to say on that? couldn't be better, John. I, I've been, uh, as you know, over there for a long time. I've been in North Africa for a bit. And over there, I've seen these boys that were just great pals. Yeah. They wear different uniforms, so do we. Yeah. But... Uh, we we speak with slightly different accents. So does a Scotsman. Mm-hmm. But they're they're just grand guys. They pinch our girls, we pinch their girls. Oh, good. <laughs> they drink our beer, we drink their beer. And uh, we fly together and fight together on the same creed of life and death, which is the biggest bond a man can have. We're getting on. Whilst in the States, he was awarded the United States Commander's Insignia to the Legion of Merit that is given for exceptionally meritorious conduct in the performance of outstanding services and achievements. The award was presented by General Arnold. On his return, he was tasked with writing a book, which was to become Enemy Coast Ahead. But despite being distracted by other duties, like attending staff college, he was eventually appointed as a staff officer at RAF East Kirkby. In this post, he managed to get some more flying, and eventually he wrangled himself into a major operation as the Master Bomber, who controls the waves of aircraft attacking. He was flying a Mosquito, an aircraft he was not particularly familiar with, and he didn't have his regular navigator. Things did not go well. The marking aircraft had problems identifying the target, and Gibson's attempts failed when his target indicators wouldn't release. However, he remained calm, directing the bombers to an alternative target until the main one was correctly marked. This was to be his last mission. He failed to return, and his aircraft was found to have crashed at Steenbergen in the Netherlands. Human remains were found at the crash site, and one body had a laundry tag in its sock, bearing the name Guy Gibson. Barnes Wallace wrote of him, He had pushed his luck beyond all limits, and he knew it. But that was the kind of man he was, a man of great courage, inspiration, and leadership. A man born for war, but born to fall in war. Sir Arthur Harris said that he was as great a warrior as this island ever bred. And Churchill wrote, I had great admiration for him, the glorious Dambuster. We have lost in this officer one of the most splendid of all our fighting men. His name will not be forgotten. It will forever be enshrined in the most wonderful records of our country. In 1955, one of the greatest wartime movies that was ever made honored the exploits of 617 Squadron. Gibson was played by Richard Tarr, and the movie was titled The Dam Busters. Another great plain tale from the old pilot i look forward to the uh, next two it's a fantastic story and uh, i know there are probably an awful lot of people who have seen the movie and know something about it but i thought perhaps it was time to 
tell a little bit more about Guy Gibson and uh, uh, Barnes Wallace, uh, who didn't just invent the bouncing bomb. He uh, had some other amazing ideas. Uh, he started his career um, building or designing airships, for heaven's sake, the R101 and the like, and finished his career um, designing a variable geometry uh, supersonic aircraft. So, remarkable chap. And, of course, the mission itself uh, is wonderful. So, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, doing some more work on that. If you don't mind, I would like to, I know we're getting close to the uh, three-hour mark, and maybe we can get at least one more piece of feedback perhaps more. Sure. And uh, I would like that because uh, Gail is in our live chat room and she sent this in uh, a little while ago um, and uh, was tried to get to it on the last show, but we ran out of time. seems to be a recurring thing. We're running out of time now, but I want to make sure that we don't extend it into another podcast. So let's hear from Gail. Hi, this is Gail. And I thought I would send some feedback about the long taxi time at O'Hare. I am literally sitting in the upper deck of a 747. I just came from Frankfurt, and I am taxiing uh, to hopefully Terminal 5. Uh, so the joke I like to make, and probably most, it's probably not that original, is that um, the taxi is so long that people say, oh, we must have landed at at Midway, and now we're just driving to O'Hare. Anyways, um, that's my uh, what I think is my hilarious joke. Okay, bye. <laughs> you even get a laugh track. <laughs> Not everybody. That wasn't does, the most vigorous <laughs> laugh track there. <laughs> no, I think that she said at some point um, that it was like a twelve-minute taxi, and I'm thinking, well, that's not bad. That, that's that's, that's great for Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> Huh. Maybe I misunderstood her, but, uh, yeah, I know sometimes even it seems to me it happens more taxiing out that it, it you'll fly from uh, Atlanta to like Greenville, Spartanburg, and the flight time is like 20 minutes or something ridiculously short. And it takes like 45 minutes to get out to the airplane mm -hmm. airport to take off. Yeah. Well, that was out like my flight from O'Hare to, um, Appleton, Wisconsin for, for Oshkosh. The taxi time at O'Hare was just as long as the flight time to Appleton. Yeah. To the runway. Yeah. It happens, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mind you, sometimes it can be great. Uh, occasionally, we would land and turn off at Heathrow, and our parking spot was literally right in front of us, and we'd have to slow to an absolute crawl because having had the engines uh, uh, at relatively high power, uh, during the landing phase with thrust reverses in, um, you had to leave uh, um, X minutes, five minutes, depending on around, depending on the aircraft, the engine type, to let the temperature and the engine stabilize before you could shut them down. And uh, you had way less than that taxi time. So hmm. you'd be going at like two miles an hour. Trying to, you know, go, oh, we can't, we can't shut because nothing worse than sitting on the stand with the engines running and everyone's trying to stand up, move around, and you know you're not allowed to until uh, we shut the engines down. So, uh, oh. yeah, we used to have the. So, you, you know, so you have, you can't let the passengers up until all the engines are off? We don't, as an extra oh. precaution in case there's an evacuation required. The last oh. thing you want is lots of people with bags out in the aisles and you've got engines running, then one of them catches a fire and you want to evacuate. Yeah. You don't really want 
them to be up and about. You want it to be a nice controlled evacuation. Uh, so that I think that's the basis of the idea. But yes, uh, in our well, we don't have that rule. Um, in fact, uh, there are a lot of places that will land and almost like roll right to the gate. And, you know, the, we barely have enough time for the APU to actually get up to the point where we could, you know, possibly shut the engines down. However, now, um, and we've had this policy for some time on both the 88 and the MD-90 that we have to wait three minutes after landing to shut down the engines because there's coke buildup uh, on the on the turbine Your engine sniff coke oh dear. yeah not not that kind of coke like uh, oh, black. oh okay no no not even that kind. <laughs> the kind that's uh, like coke from the in a steel mill or whatever oh, like, coke uh, from the coal yeah yes. anthracite because oh, you know, yeah. we burn coal yeah of course you'd think I, that wouldn't be a problem on the, my airplane but it, uh, apparently it is so they they say let the engines run for three minutes before you shut them down not usually an issue but there are there are cases where we come in but we don't we turn off the seatbelt light and people get up out of their seats and leave the airplane with, of course the engines are on the, on the tail. So that's a little bit different situation. I'm not sure what our fleets do that have the engine mounted. I mean, the wing mounted engines, perhaps they do that mm, too. Might be different. Yeah. Yeah. For us, it's a thing like it's mainly to do with around the aircraft on the ground. So we're not allowed to uh, turn the anti-collision lights off and do anything. And no one will approach the aircraft till the engines shut down. Then we turn the anti-collars <laughs> off. And then the last thing on that checklist is seatbelts. So we don't turn the seatbelts off until the aircraft's basically secured. But I'm sorry. I'm, and the reason why I'm kind of snickering a little bit is because, I mean, sometimes before our airplane even gets to a stop, the doors, we get, we're get we getting cargo door open lights. <laughs> uh, I mean, things are happening. It's like it's like NASCAR going on there. It's it like, you're, you're at your okay. pit stop. Like, you got to get this thing turned around. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, uh, well, uh, they've got like two hours to turn it around. So they're <laughs> yeah. Yeah, different different world stop. for sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's just very yeah. that's efficient. You know, I like yeah, the, yeah. I like the hustle. Uh, it can be dangerous too. I think. Well, yes. I mean, yeah, there is that. Right. All right. Um, we can probably fit maybe one more. I know we're going to go a little bit over the three hour mark. We uh, do beg your pardon, uh, but I, I want I don't. you don't. Okay. Well, good night. <laughs> <laughs> I don't beg your beg their pardon. Uh, I think we should have a four hour show. Uh, do you really? I don't think <laughs> Tonight. That you're being honest. Um, you know, some of these are going to require a little bit more time than than others, and uh, most of these look yeah. a little lengthy. Yeah. and we're at five hours or five That's hours. Wow. wow, three hours <laughs> feels like. <laughs> yeah, been here forever. Yeah, you know what? Uh, HR, make the call. Making that it. call. Done. Okay, there we go. So. Thanks for listening to our little show um, and uh, downloading it and uh, sharing it with friends and reviewing it on iTunes. Is iTunes still a thing? I think it is. Um, and so. yes. yes, it um, is. Oh, by the way, just remembered Apple something. Podcast, I'll chat. Apple, podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, or Google Play. I don't know. They keep changing the names of everything. I don't know. Um, but I do want to say somebody sent us some feedback um, that. Uh, you know, we were, somebody was asking, where can I, you know, it only goes back to like episode 93. Um, and how do I go all the way back to episode one? Well, this person said on Spotify, it goes all the way back to the first episode. I don't know why, they're, what they're using for their RSS feed, but apparently they're using some super RSS feed or something. I'm not sure, but it actually not only goes back to episode one, it also has some Catholic pilot episodes on it too. 
So if you're if you're hankering for, you for insomniacs out there. Yeah, if you really need and you have a super bad case of uh, the APG syndrome, go to Spotify and uh, there you'll find all the early episodes that probably shouldn't be listened to. So um, with that, uh, again, a big um, uh, call it, no, a big shout out to our producer, Liz, in Toronto. She does Thank such you, a great job. Thank you, Liz. And uh, our website, it's a great website, airlinepilotguy.com, where you'll find all kinds of good stuff on it. And remember, don't forget, remember, don't forget, that's the same thing, um, that uh, we can, you can put the uh, website on your, 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 any device. And it's just like having an app, sort of, pretty much. <laughs> Next best thing. Next best thing. And... We are also on the social meds. Hey, check out twitter.com and use the handle at APG crew. We're all there. Happy to interact with you on that platform. You can also interact with us individually. Um, all of our individual Twitter information is pinned to the top of that page. You can also head over to facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. All kinds of good community interaction, news stories being shared, folks just wanting to get in touch with one another. So check it out on the social meds. Absolutely. And we are also on Slack. Ah, oh yeah. Delta P. Uh, Hillel, quit fooling around in there and come out over here and tell us about Slack and how people can join. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. All right. With that... Looking forward to our next episode next week, whenever that's going to be. Thanks, everybody, for hanging with us. And until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Can't wait for the feedback special. Not everybody. Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly over